The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. and Mike Fires has thrown his second no-hitter. And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back! Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From the opener to launch angles to clutch moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. How is everybody doing? I know how I'm doing. I'm doing fantastic. It's good to be back. I absolutely love vacation. It's something that everybody needs. It's something that the athletics are very smart about. You may not know this, but Keith Lippman, who's been around for, Jesus, 40-something. He might even be in the 50s. How long he has been with the Oakland Athletics. Let's see. This is, what, a year old, or is this last year? So this is last year. So Keith Lippman, this year was his 50th year with the organization. And it's his 29th season as the organization's director of player development. Keith Lippman is a legend in the game. And he makes sure that everybody in the organization, when you talk about managers and you talk about coaches, that at some point everybody takes a a little vacay. It's very smart. At some point, you need to basically say, I'm putting my cell phone down. I'm not worried about hitters. I'm not worried about pitchers. I'm not worried about you got you got to disengage. You got to have a little private time. You got to spend some time with the missus. You got to spend some time with your kids. And for some of these guys, your grandkids. And it's something that the A's have done for a long time. And I know that a lot of people who work inside the A's organization, when we're talking about the minor league level, they really appreciate it because it's good for the soul. So every single year I take a vacation at the All-Star break, I, I miss a couple games before and I miss a couple games after. And the reason why is when, when you rent beach houses, it's Saturday to Saturday, so that's just how it works. But I'm recharged. I'm ready to go. I have told all of you, and I will continue to tell you, This is no longer a marathon. Get that out of your mind. We're in a full-out sprint to the finish. That's the way it is. And the A's right now are 12 games over 500. they They're sitting in the second slot for the wild card. But a lot of things can change. Things change every single night at this point with everybody being so close. We're going to have the HUD man, Rex Hudler, coming up here. Love Hudler. Loved him as a player. Love him as a broadcaster. He's crazy, but he's my kind of crazy. He works for the Kansas City Royals, and we're going to ask him about Homer Bailey. And Homer Bailey has emerged as a good starter again based on his split-fingered fastball. We'll get into that at 415 with the HUD man. Brian Price, former manager of the Cincinnati Reds Bay Area guy. 
He is going to join us as we'll talk a lot of different things about the game of baseball. We have a theme for today. We have a theme. We'll get to that theme in just a second. Sarah Langs, who you know we love on Twitter. I mean, she just all day long tweets nuggets about everybody. She's as good, if you love baseball, she's as good as anybody to follow in the entire game of baseball at S. Langson Sports. At S. Langson Sports. She just, she, I don't know where she comes up with this stuff. We love her having her on the program. Dan Zaborski from Fangraphs will join us at 6. And then if you didn't get to hear the conversation yesterday on A's Total Access, Dr. Meredith Wills, the astrophysicist who's basically saying baseball eh, maybe isn't being completely honest with us about the baseball. We'll continue our conversation from yesterday. It is her belief that the commissioner of baseball is backing himself, Rob Manfred, into a corner. We will get into what Verlander had to say at the All-Star game. Supposedly he was reprimanded a little bit. I think that's hot. I don't think someone of Verlander's statue is really going to be reprimanded. Like, But supposedly he got called into the principal's office, and there was Joe, Joe Torrey and Jim Leland, and they basically told him to cut it out. I mean, there's only so much you can say to a future Hall of Famer and one of the best pitchers in the game. And I'm sure knowing Verlander, I don't know Verlander, but knowing of how Verlander is, he carries the kind of weight where he can look at those guys and say, you know what, you guys are full of it. We will get into that. And we'll have Dr. Meredith Wills at 6.30. I actually think, now normally I don't take credit for much because I normally am not the type of person that comes up with stuff that can save things or create new things. That's not my gig. My gig is talking and having a good time. That's what I'm good at. I said it yesterday on the broadcast. If drinking beers on the beach was like a profession, I'd be Tiger Woods. I'd be Jack Nicklaus. I'd be Roger Federer. I'd be great at that. But unfortunately, it's not. So I only did it for a week. I really think I came up with an idea that could help generate way more fans in baseball immediately. I want Dave Cavill on the line now. Get me Chris Giles, COO, now. Get them on the line. Well, I don't have that kind of pull. But we will have, hopefully, because it's been a while. We're we're supposed to do every two weeks the podcast for A's cast called The Build, where Dave Cavill, the president of the organization, and I sit down and we talk about how things are going. Well, we all had the All-Star break off, so it's been three weeks. So hopefully we will get Dave Calvo this week. And I'm going to float this idea. I want to give it to you now, but Commander Cody, my producer, won't allow me. Seriously, this is an idea that I think you as a baseball fan, being at the ballpark, this would float your boat. This would make you be like, I got to go to the game. This is awesome. I think it would change the life of baseball fans. I don't know when I'm going to do it. I'll let you know when I'm going to do it. But I think you'll absolutely love it. I, and I came up with it. I got to get it out today in case someone else is thinking of it. It's brilliant. And I'm not brilliant. You know that. 
I know that. My family knows that. But today, I might be. This might be the only day in 47 years. Speaking of on this day, as Commander Cody teased you on Twitter, what happened on this day 25 years ago? Truly one of the great stories in the history of baseball. 25 years ago today, the Chicago White Sox confiscated the bat of Albert Bell when he was with the Cleveland Indians. I remember like it was yesterday. Because they were tipped off and they knew he's corking his bat. See, these, these are the cute ways to cheat in baseball. Scuffing the baseball. Corking your bat. Messing with equipment. That's why I look back with, with the, 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 the deflated footballs and Tom Brady. Really? I always laughed at that in my talk show days. Like, who cares? It's equipment. If you're not cheating, you're not trying. Everybody's trying to get an edge. Now, it's a whole different thing when you're chemically enhancing your body and doing that. That kind of stuff is different from cork in the bat. So, White Sox go out. They tell the umpire. Umpire's got to take the bat. The bat was placed in the umpire's room for safekeeping 25 years ago today. But mysteriously, when the game was over, the bat was gone. Where did the bat go? You realize there is a security guard. To this day, there is a security guard every single game at the door of the umpires. Whether the umpires are in there or not, there is a there is a security guard. Every ballpark. So how did somebody get into that room and take the bat? Did aliens take it? Who took the bat? It's not possible. There's a security guard that never leaves. Jason Grimsley. Remember Jason Grimsley, the pitcher? He climbed through the ceiling from the Indians' clubhouse through the rafters, into the umpire's room, and took the bat. Now, how do you discipline Albert Bell? He was suspended for 10 days, and then they reduced it. He appealed to six games. How great of a story is that? And if you're Grimsley you got to be looking at Albert Bell, our old buddy Joey Bell, and you got to be saying, where are you taking me to dinner? If I saved you at least four games, who knows? I don't know, 25 years ago, was that 94? Yeah, 94. I was in college. I was five. Really? You were only five? No, you know what? I wasn't even five yet. I think, wait, 90, 88, yeah. I would have been... Yeah, I would have been turning six. Sorry, I would have been turning six in November, so I was five. I was in my junior year of baseball at San Jose State in 94 when the strike. That's when the strike happened. So you don't even remember the strike. No, I was too young. Oh, you millennials. I like you millennials. You know that because I feel like I'm a millennial. Remember, you talked about changing the game for us millennials. So. I, 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 millennials, I have your back. I always have your back. I want you to eat more chicken pies, and I want you to go to A's games. That's what I want for you millennials. Chicken Pie Shop in Walnut Creek. Um, yeah, millennials, you're going to like my idea. You are really going to like my idea. As a millennial, do you like my idea, Cody? I absolutely love it. We discussed yeah. a little bit beforehand. I, I, it's, great. It's, it's unbelievable. 
I wanted to bring this up because you mentioned Jason Grimsley. I think the baseball gods uh, got him back for this. I believe he was the pitcher that served up the walk-off to Scott Hatterberg when the A's won their 20th game in a row when he's with the Royals. Against the Royals. I believe Look it, it up. Was, I believe it was Jason Grimsley. I'll check, but I think it was Jason Grimsley. Look it up. Jason Grimsley climbing through the rafters is awesome. We have a phenomenal show. I, I have a show sheet for three hours. It's nine pages long. That's how much info I have for you today. Nine pages. By the way, confirmed. Jason Grimsley, 2002, Scott Hatterberg. Thank you very much. More good knowledge on this day 25 years ago. Joey Bell being helped out. I'll never forget two quick Joey Bell moments, and then we're going to get to Rex Hudler. So does everybody remember when they were doing construction actually during the games at the Coliseum, Mount Davis? So we tailgated, had a few libations. It's an A's game. Whole wasn't a whole lot of people at the game. We're down the left field line, and we ragged his you-know-what for nine innings. And he wore it for about six. And then he was done with it. He started flipping us off. Then he started, like, because there was, like, I want to say there was, like, six of us, and we were just on him about everything and we I, we brought up the cork bat. We brought up all kinds of stuff from his career. Remember when he forearmed Fernando Vina? I mean, we got on him about so much. So by like sixth, seventh inning, he's had enough. He's split. He's split. By the end of the game, he he wants to fight. And like the A's, we were sitting right behind the A's bullpen, and the A's players loved it. They loved it, and they kept encouraging, just go after him. He's the biggest ass. Then Joey gets me back. As I'm a young guy, I was working at KMBR at the time, and I used to always come over because I've told you, I mean, when I, I love the A's, and I used to always come over and get A's, and I would get it used to piss my boss off at KMBR, but I always get A's, and then I get other American League guys for for the pregame show, the Giants pregame show that I did on the weekends when I first started out. Joey Bell wouldn't even look at me when I asked him for an interview. Wouldn't even, like, I didn't even exist. And you know who else was like that? And I hate to say it, it was Frank Thomas. Frank was tough to deal with, man. When he was in Chicago, wow. But I remember when I went up to Frank the first time he was an A, stood up and said, I'd love to do it. <laughs> I'd love to do the pregame. Well, our next guest is somebody I've had on for years. And we've always loved him, whether he was a player, a broadcaster. You know, with the A's, we got to see him all the time with the Angels. And now Rex Hudler's working for the Kansas City Royals. The HUD man, one of the best in the business. Rex, how are you? Oh, what a question, sir. And that's such a kind introduction. But, But I can tell you, the reason that people liked me when I was a player, especially the opponents and the starting pitcher, because when I was in that lineup, that was an easy out. So, look, they love seeing me in that lineup. <laughs> that is so not true. You know why they loved you? Because you played the game the way you're supposed to play the game, and that's why everybody has always respected you, and they know now that you're talking about the game on television, you do it with such passion, you love this game, but the reason why people have always been about the HUD man is because the way you played. I sure appreciate that. That was a lot of that was instilled in my upbringing. 
But I can tell you that uh, being raised in Fresno, California, just three hours from your beautiful home there, um, the, the Bullard High School, the Coach Snokes, um, who went to Berkeley, um, you know, he instilled in me that that's the one thing you owe the game, and that is a hustle. That's the one thing you owe. And I had no idea, and no one else did, that I was going to be blessed to be a big leaguer. I mean, and so then when there was paying customers in the stands, it was easy. Are you kidding? Some people probably couldn't afford being there, but they paid their way in. I'm going to give them at least all I got, bud. And that's the rest. I, I would hope the modern-day player thinks that way, too. Well, we want to talk to you about Homer Bailey as the Athletics just acquired him. And the 33-year-old, you know, after a few years of injuries, seems to, as they say, Stella got her groove back. We know his fastball's up a few ticks. We know he's using his splitter way more. What did you see these last eight or so starts from Homer Bailey? Well, thanks for your call about him because, look, I analyzed all of his games. The one great thing that we have here in Kansas City, that's really good coaching. And the pitching coach here is Cal Eldred. Cal got him, and when before they signed him, he watched some video on, on Homer, and, and he said, I can help him. I know I, there's a couple of tweaks I can do. Well, those tweaks ended up working out. And what happened is he pitched in a big ballpark here at Kauffman Stadium at 410 straightaway center field, and he wasn't no longer in a bandbox ballpark like, like – uh, uh, you know, Cincinnati, that ballpark is a launching pad. So when he, his first couple starts, he nibbled a little bit, you know, cause he's, that's what he's used to for the last 10 years. He was is pitching in that ballpark. And then he got here and he started trusting his stuff. And the one thing we knew he had was that uh, was a good split finger, but because he had a couple of ticks more with his fastball, he would use that up in the zone on hitters and get them looking, and then he would show he would throw that split finger, which is a real nice pitch for him. Now, he was either hot or cold. He was on with it. Uh, he was nails, and he could eat up five, six, seven innings sometimes. And if not, you know, he would leave his split finger up, and it could be hit. And he's got a nice little slider that complements those three pitches. So if he's up and down, which really raises the eye level of hitters, he can have a lot of success, and he's big, strong, and durable, and, you know, has great mound presence. You won't see him making a motion, you know, no emotion at all. He's That's exactly – he don't give the hitters, the opposing hitters, anything to feed off of. He was a real pro watching him pitch. Well, and I got to think what you said about pitching in Kansas City. Wouldn't you say the same thing's going to be out here in our big ballpark in Oakland? That's exactly right. So, there you go. He's already – we've conditioned him for your pennant race. And that's exactly what we're well, what Dayton Moore acquired him for. They wanted to, you know, maybe maybe uh, you know show show the league he had something left, and sure enough, he does. And now you guys got him. You got a good solid guy you can rely on. I actually was looking forward to calling his game last night, and they didn't tell us for about you know 20 minutes before the game uh, that uh, you know he wasn't in there. But you know, good for you guys. Um, all the best to you in that in that, uh, that beautiful West out there. Um, but you know, you got a guy who you can rely on. He's been strong all year. As a matter of fact, his pitches, his fastball is mid-90s you know, all year long, and maybe a tick above that at, at times. But he's going to live right at mid-90s, maybe a little bit below. But when you include the secondary pitches and his experience, you got a guy that can win some games for you, let's hope. No doubt, and he's thrown two no-hitters, so he knows he has the stuff. And, and when I think about a guy, I mean, obviously this has been a tough year in Kansas City. What do you think this does for a veteran player to leave a team that's struggling like the Royals to now be in a pennant race and join a team that's 12 games over 500? Well, he's a, a perfect fit because 
Um, he's hungry, and, he, and, and at this stage in his career, he wants to win. Hey, there's four stages for a, a baseball player if he's lucky enough to have a long career. Okay, first is you want to get there. Next, you want to, you want to you know, stay there. And then you want to paid. And then the last stage is you want to win. Okay, so certainly if he appreciated this opportunity that the Royals gave him to, to go out there every fifth day, uh, that's, a, that's a privilege. And, you know, and also he's thankful for that. But now this is a, an exciting deal. I'm happy for him and the opportunity he has to play with Bob Melvin and you guys out there and, and all those wonderful baseball players you have that are extremely talented. He's going to get some uh, – he's going to bring some energy there, let's hope, when he's out there between the lines and uh, stay healthy and finish strong. That's all you can ask for. How, what kind of you, you, you've seen everybody in the American League, and you know the A's are red hot right now, as they usually do this dance in June and July, where they struggle early, but then June and July they get it going. What kind of chance do you give the A's against what you've seen so far in the American League? Well, you know what, Bob Melvin—he's an outstanding skipper. He's been through it, and he knows he's a lot like Terry Francona, which is which is really a huge compliment to Bob that I would I would put him in Tito's league. Because Tito's got a couple of world championships, you know, he, but still Bob knows the ropes. He knows how to motivate his guys. You know, he encourages them. He empowers them. So when you have young talent like that, it's easy. You kind of just stay out of the way and let these guys go out and do their thing, man. Get them on base, get them over. That got the power in your, in your lineup. But I give Melvin a lot of credit in the front office for constantly year after year instilling that winning uh, mentality. You know, you don't, you don't win anything in April. But, you know, when you finish strong teams like that, Terry Francona, he's the same way. The Cleveland Indians the last several years, you know, they, they always started slow, but he has a way of getting these guys to play when you really count. And we all know that the best finish first in the la- at, the end of the, at the end of their time, at the end of the season. You know, they, no one asks you how you started the season. They always ask you, how'd you finish up? So we know you got a game, and we're going to get you out of here, but I want your opinion on the Central. As you have Minnesota, they've kind of surprised people. Unbelievable power. They're probably going to set the record for most home runs in the year. The, the Tribe has kind of got their groove back. Uh, who do you like at the end? Do you like the Twins, or do you like the Indians? Well, you know, it's hard to count out the Indians. The Indians could, I don't know, they haven't figured out whether they're going to be buyers or sellers, but I believe, I believe you know, you're anywhere with 10 games. At this time of year, you're in it. Okay, so so they I would expect them to add. Of course, Kluber gets back. You know they got some injured injured pitchers. Uh, Clevenger's already back. You know Bauer. You know they hopefully won't trade him now. If they if they deal him, then you can look at Minnesota. But the the Indians always have good starting pitching. And um, you know this kid Bieber, who was the MVP of the All Star game, he's tough. And Francona, I I think his bullpen. You know I think it's good. But he told me the other day that he don't like the fact that he don't have any real power. Uh, guys that can blow you away and get the strikeouts. Most managers love that type of reliever because they can get the strikeouts late when they need them. But uh, uh, you can't count Cleveland out, but I'm saying Minnesota has the mojo right now, and they got a little bit of more energy. Well, we know you got a game, and I truly appreciate you taking the time before your call. As you know, we have all the respect in the world for you and what you've done in your career, and we'll see you in late August for a four-game set in Kansas City. Can't wait to get to the beautiful city out there by the bay we love you and you all the best to you guys and uh, thank you so much for letting me share on your show take care rex the wonder dog i dig that guy i've always digged that guy because yeah he 
you know, there's some people that may have not liked his style over the years, but the energy and the passion that he brings, it was just the way he played. And that's why everybody loved him. You know, you know Notre Dame wanted him to play football? Notre Dame was thinking about him. That was, you know, he he was a hell of an athlete. He was a guy that really could do it all. And I, you know, we just saw the White Sox. They stink. Think about the Kansas City Royals. I'm looking at their thing right now. The Royals, they have lost 10 of their past 14 games. During that span, pitchers have a 6.11 ERA. Their record is 32 and 62. They're 32 and 62. Oh my God! Can you imagine being the post games of the pre and post game show for for the Royals? Well, you'd have a World Series ring, so I guess that would. Think about if it if it wasn't for Madison Bumgarner, the Royals would have won two World Series back to back. And then all of a sudden, they're all gone. Hosmer's in San Diego, Canes in Milwaukee. They're they're all gone. They're all gone. And they're not. They were just World Series champions. They were just in the World Series for two straight years. And now they're 32 and 62. This is why everybody, you should say thank you to Billy Bean. Thank you, David Forrest. Yeah, you may not like everything that they do. I get it. But you're not 32 and 62. Baltimore's 28 and 65. And these teams aren't going to be good for years. What did we go through? Three bad years? Playoffs in 12, 13, 14. And then stink in 15, 16, 17. Back in the playoffs, 18, 19. Well, I'm not counting this year. But I want to count this year. Hey, the A's never stay down long under Billy Bean. He has been to the playoffs half the time he's been general manager. Slash VP. Yes. I was gonna say I don't I don't I mean, as an ace fan too, like I love the the brand of success, but you know, growing up um I don't wait twenty years for the team I watched make the playoff have a winning record. Yeah. Winning the, record. The Pirates went twenty years being under five hundred. Twenty years. And then I move here and they're good. And then twenty years the Pittsburgh Pirates. Pittsburgh Pirates, when I was a kid, won the World Series in 79. Then they got really good in the 80s with Bonds, Mania, Vance Lyke, and all those guys. Drayback. Smiley. Who else do they have on that team? Uh, Lavalier. Yeah. Um, who's the shortstop? Uh, Jay Bell. Jay Bell was really good. See, I'm not that young. I mean, I'm young, but I'm I still remember those guys. And then they go 20 years being under 500. Absolutely brutal. Coming up next... We're, we're going to have back-to-back guests. The way this show rolls, whenever someone says, hey, this is what I'm going to do it, we go, we're going to do it. Brian Price, the former manager of the Cincinnati Reds, Bay Area guy, we'll get into about managing. He has worked with Bob Melvin before. We've got a lot to get into next right here on A's Cast Live. Now back to A's Cast Live. Broadcasting from the town, here's Chris Townsend. All right, if we have time with Brian Price, we're going to have to ask him about the time after a game with the media. He uh, threw out 77 F-bombs in six-plus minutes. Could be a record. Like, Lee Elia went nuts with the Cubs. 
you know, there's been some guys that have, that have Tommy Lasorda, but six-plus minutes. Commander Cody once went through all six minutes and took – and you have to bleep it. 77. He was born in San Francisco. Grew up in Mill Valley. Played baseball at the University of California. And was on the staff with Bob Melvin in Seattle and also Arizona. Of course, he was the manager of the Cincinnati Reds after he was with Bob in Seattle and Arizona. He took over the Reds. He was a coach there and then took over the Reds in 2014. And we always like to bring Bay Area people back and talk a little baseball. Brian Price, Chris Townsend with the Oakland Athletics, we appreciate you coming on the program. Oh, thanks, Chris. I appreciate you having me. We were just talking about, because you know how much we love our skipper, Bob Melvin, and, and, and what he has meant to the A's. Like yourself, a Bay Area guy, a Cal guy, and when he got to the A's, I'm telling you, it was pretty bleak. The A's were not doing well. There was a black cloud over the organization, and it's like Melvin came in and the skies cleared, the sun came out, and we've never looked back since. Uh, what's your relationship with him, and what was it like working with him both in Seattle and Arizona? Well, I, you know, I think you hit the nail on the head there because I, you know, I, I, I was fortunate to work with Bob, uh, both in Seattle and his, in his first managerial opportunity. And, and then again, in, in, uh, Arizona in his second, uh, spot. And I thought he was outstanding in both. I think two organizations that probably are, um, uh, disappointed in how they reacted, um, during a couple of tough seasons have some big regrets in letting Bob go um, both Seattle and, and Arizona, because I think he's done nothing but establish himself as, as one of the truly, you know, outstanding managers in major league baseball. And, uh, and he's proven it, especially with Oakland. I think, uh, you know, when I, I saw that team in, in, in 2011 and, and I was, I agreed with a lot of the pundits that thought that, that the A's might lose a hundred games in, in 2012 and they end up sneaking past Texas at the end of the season. And it was just, it to me had to be the greatest job, not, not just done by Bob, but certainly Bob had a huge involvement and role in getting those 25 players to, to play so well. Yeah. It, 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 and knowing both Billy and Bob really well and the way they're working together, you know, this was to me really the first manager that Billy Bean had that he realized, okay, I got the guy. And for you, you've managed and you've been around it for a long time. How important is it in modern-day baseball that the front office and the manager, they have to be pulling on the same rope? Yeah, and I think that there's there's more and more challenge with that, especially if you're dealing with uh, an established manager and a young up-and-coming general manager because of philosophically that, that – the, the game is changing exponentially season by season and how in the use of data, the use of analytics and how that is, is going to be, uh, how that's going to drive how you use your roster, the types of players that, that you want to add to your roster, uh, you know, um, how you, how you position yourself defensively, how you use your starting pitching, your bullpen, your bench players, et cetera. Um, and that's tough because as, as a manager, it's hard to, to want to relinquish that some of that responsibility um, to the front office. I think that's the biggest challenge. And I think in Bob's case is, first of all, he's approachable. Second of all, he's an extremely smart guy and a savvy baseball person, and he's a people person. So, 
you know, I think in the worst way, he wants everyone to be given the opportunity to do their job. And in the same respect, uh, he has that um, uh, his, history. He has a history as a player, as a coach, and as a manager, and as a very successful manager um, that that uh, connects with the players. They they trust him. I think they respond to him. They know they know he's. He, he's won every place he's been. He's been in three big league organizations as a manager. He's won each place he's gone, and they trust him. And I think that's probably the biggest thing that, that you can hope to get from a manager is that is that not only the players trust him, but the front office does as well. Yeah, I've been hearing this a lot, you know, traveling around with the A's and talking to a lot of people. You know, the phrase, they got to buy in. The players, you can have all the data. You got all this radar and cameras and stat casts. But somehow you get you got to get the players to buy in, and you as a pitching coach or a manager, how tough is it to get everybody to buy in? Well, it's you know it's a different day and age. You know, as much as as, as we're talking, you know, now that the newest thing is uh, being able to steal first base on a wild pitch. You know that we're seeing changes and even ideas, even if they haven't been implemented yet. Uh, change the game is changing so rapidly, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, and the other part is, is that the young players that are coming in the game today, many of them have been playing, you know, uh, year-round baseball, the travel baseball. They, they, most of them have had a pitching or hitting coach for several years um, prior to get getting into professional baseball, meaning somebody at home who they work with. Uh, you know, during the school year or in their off seasons um, that give them regular uh, information that they still stay in touch with now. I mean, it's not uncommon to to see a player in a big league clubhouse on the phone with his hitting coach or his pitching coach from back home. And so you've got to find a way now, as crazy as that sounds, in my opinion, it, it's, you have to find a way to marry that. You've got to be able to, 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 create an environment where the, the player feels safe, still having a relationship with, with the coaches that he's, he's, he's built trust with in the past, uh, as well as bridging that with his new coaching staff. And so by getting players to buy in to trust as a coach or a manager now is, is exponentially harder than it was years ago, but it takes a unique, uh, special personality to be able to do that. Um, especially somebody that's, you know, that's a little older, you know, Bob's uh, 57 now, I believe, um, you know, a lot more of these managers are in their thirties and forties than are in their fifties and sixties these days. And large part, I think because of their ability to relate with the younger player um, and Bob continues to be able to do that, which is a, you know, which is, I think another feather in his hat. You know, there's, there, there, there's so much information for these players, but not every guy wants it or not every guy is it going to help. As a coach, and I'm, I'm really thinking as a pitching coach or a hitting coach, how do you look at the player and really figure out, is all this stuff going to be too much for him or is this the right amount of information for a guy? Well, I think the most important thing is you have to get to know the individual. Uh, and you can't, you know, years ago, you know, even recently, you know, you'll have guys that will come in and say, hey, you know what, I just want – the, pit, the catcher to call the game and I'll, I'll throw the game that the catcher calls. And the an, antithesis of that, of course, is the one that is the, is the guy that preps the game for the game and wants to know every single statistic, you know, you can get um, it broken down even to the point on, on strike zones, like on for umpires, you know, an umpires strike zone. He calls the pitch uh, maybe is a little more generous on that down and away location to a right hand hitter than he is on the inside corner. And then you may try to milk that against a particular umpire. So, uh, the data extends well beyond the basic, uh, you know, 
uh, what a pitcher throws on what counts with what probability, et cetera. So I, I think that um, you have to kind of find out what guys can absorb and you have to lean on the other guys. Sometimes you got to lean on your more veteran players to be able to, to help, you know, um, uh, kind of find their way into uh, their teammates to, to, to get them to buy into some of the stuff you want them to do. Uh, sometimes you lean a bit more on the catchers to make sure that they're following a game plan. They don't allow a pitcher to throw a stupid pitch. Um, and, but those are things that have been going on for, for years, but it's, I'll tell you, it's not always easy. You know, you're fine. Players coming up nowadays are, are kind of a, a little bit more of a sense of knowing what makes them successful and uh, are probably a little more reluctant to, to let people in there to try to make modifications to their game. Well, the A's just traded for Homer Bailey. Obviously, you know him well. You were his skipper. You were his pitching coach. At 33 years old, we're seeing a little uptick in the velocity. He's throwing the split finger a lot more. What do you think he has left to give the A's here in, in this pennant race? Well, you know, my feeling is he's got plenty left. You know, he missed so much time. I think he got hurt in August of 2014 and probably wasn't completely healthy until last season. And, you know, he got on, uh, you know, uh, in a rut on a, on a, you know, a team that wasn't, you know, wasn't a top level team. Um, and, and he just didn't have a, very, a good year at all. And it really uh, misrepresented, uh, you know, the type of player he was from 2010 through 2014, which to me was one of the more dependable uh, starting pitchers in the national league. Uh, he's an innings guy. He loves to compete. He understands as a starter's responsibility to pit is to pitch deep in the game. And that's, changed over time you know homer we counted on homer for you know six seven eight innings uh you know plus per start when he was in cincinnati um as recently as 2014 and now in 2019 you, know, you find a lot more teams that are trying to get through the order twice and then look to the bullpen um you know i think homer now that he's healthy is a guy that's going to take the ball every five days and and give you a chance to win uh, I saw his games earlier in the se in the year, not as as recent, um, not not many of his recent starts, and he commands the fastball well. The velocity's back up, and his splitter's as good as I've ever seen it. I've never seen him throw it so consistently. So I think they got a nice weapon here, and and a guy with a, with some some uh, playoff experience. So I think it'll help him down the stretch. What kind of guy is he, teammate, and what kind of guy is he in the clubhouse? Oh, he's a good teammate. You know, he's very direct. He's he's very honest. He doesn't like the, you know, he, he's not a, a big media guy. He's not a social media guy. He just, he likes, he likes, he's got his baseball life and he handles his responsibilities. He's, a, he's an extremely hard worker and a tremendous preparation guy. He will take the field with a, a knowledge of, of, of the opposing team. And he will talk, may have a good relationship with his catcher, a uh, very strong communicator, uh, so he'll take the he'll take the field prepared. There'll be no doubt about that. Um, but he has his private life. You know, he likes his private life, and he likes to separate baseball from his his private life. And uh, uh, he he's he, I just think I just think they're getting a really good pitcher at, a, at just the right time uh, after he's recovered from some of these surgeries. Let's end on this. And there and you know every single manager at some point, you know us media guys can be really annoying. And I can tell you, Brian, there's times that I get annoyed with some of the media people. And I remember that one time you went off on the media, and it was like a six minute rant. Do you ever like sit back and laugh at that? Because because that was one that was that was one of the best I've ever heard. 
Well, you know what? I, 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 I don't, I haven't, I've never heard it. I've never listened to it. So I, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't know what it sounded like. I do know that I did not say that this is off the record and I should have, uh, even though in the aftermath, I said, Hey, this is, you know, I, in the aftermath, I said, you know, I, I want this to stay here because it was really meant for the people that were in the room. It wasn't a national, uh, it wasn't, a, it wasn't something I was trying to make a point of and say, Hey, this is a national epidemic, but you know, my, my concerns were so much of what was happening and how much time people were in that were in the clubhouse to kind of witness some of the things that I didn't want them to be privy to, you know, as far as which players were healthy, which ones were injured, who, you know, we had a player that was going to miss a game because his father was having open heart surgery, heart, uh, open heart surgery, and he was going to go home, but he was an active player. And that was Devin Mezzarocco. And, and so the, the, my concern was that that shouldn't be information that the opposing team has to know that we're down a player, you know? And so things like that get shared. Uh, and I just felt like that was really unfair. That being said, um, the, the language I used was so out of line. That was the only regret I had. I thought the message was right on. I said what I wanted to say. I said it with a lot of bad language. <laughs> and that's my only regret. And at some point in time, I'll go back and listen to it. And I, I hope to get a chuckle instead of a wince. Well, you, you know, the thing that, we don't understand as media people because we don't look and especially fans do the same thing is we don't look at these guys as human beings. We look at them as robots and we don't understand, like you said, father having open heart surgery. Maybe somebody in the family's passed away. Maybe there's something going on with their girlfriends or wives. And it's something as a manager that's got to be tough because you got to manage. You got to man. You got to manage the people, and, and, and you know what's going on. But we we don't. And, and it's kind of a sad thing that we judge these guys just basically what they do between the lines. But the reality is they're human beings, and they've got stuff going on in their life too. Yeah, you know, it, it's it's it, you try to create a win-win situation. I mean, certainly we we appreciate, you know, I appreciate what the media does in covering the club and and keeping keeping people's interests or creating interest in the game and the sport. And I also understand that with the the jobs that we have as players, coaches, managers, at the general managers, front offices, that there's going to be criticism, and that's part of it. Um, uh, so I, I get all that stuff. And I also understand that there's other people that are trying to make a living other than just me. You know, there's, there's people in the media that, that have their family to feed and they're, and they're trying to make a living too, doing something they like. Um, I do think that there has to be, you know, to, if you want a manager or coach, a player to be really open and honest, you, you have to respect certain parts of things that need to be off limits. And I think sometimes in that c competitive effort to make sure that that people stay on top of the, their coverage is I think sometimes it gets a little too close. I, I do think that there are certain things that, that teams should have the right to keep to themselves. Um, you know, I think a player that's going to get sent to the minor leagues or released should not learn that from a, a Twitter, you know, feed or something that, that comes out through the media. I think that that should be a conversation that happens between a manager and a player and and that was another thing that happened is there was, you know, there was a situation where one of our, our players was uh, going to be activated and it was out there. And so obviously one of, with the player that was going to be, you know, affected was going to have to read that before I had a chance to talk to him. I just thought, that, I think things like that are unfair. Sometimes they're unavoidable, but I think when they are avoidable, we should really do everything we can to, to respect those, uh, you know, the feelings of the players and staff. 
Brian, thank you so much for your time. We truly appreciate it. Uh, we do the Bob Melvin Show tomorrow, and uh, I'll tell Bob that you said hello. Please do, Chris. A real treat to speak with you, and good luck, A's. Thank you. For you. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Okay, you too. Take care, Chris. Brian Price, Bay Area guy, was a terrific pitching coach, and I think will manage again in Major League Baseball. But he said something that – Commander Cody brought to my attention that at first I went, eh, and then I went, you know what, that might not be a bad idea. We'll talk about it next right here on A's Cast Live. Streaming from the East Bay, A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. I'm pretty happy about that interview. Oh, Brian Price is fabulous. Love what he had to say about Melvin. The amount of respect that Bob Melvin has around Major League Baseball is unbelievable. And that's why last year I was flipping my lid when he didn't have a contract extension. I'm just like, people, hello. The minute he was a free agent, you know where I was scared he would go? I was scared he was going to Anaheim because the minute you made him a free agent, because remember, the Yankees came after him. They denied him talking to the Yankees, not saying he wanted to leave, but immediately they said no. Okay, well, then if you made him a free agent, I'm thinking, oh, my God, if he goes to Anaheim. Oh, my God. And that's why on the postgame show, I kept flipping out. Bob even told me, hey, I appreciate it. Just You don't need to go. I went, no, I'm not going to stop until you're signed. And I felt the same way about Bean and forced. This, this threesome that they got going, it works. Don't screw it up. Too many times organizations overthink things and they think change is what's best and that change puts you in a rut. But we don't have to worry about that because everybody's inked up. Life is good. Yeah, uh, if you don't think life is good, I'll just read this off real quick. A's are a season-high 12 games over 500. They've won four straight, 10 of 12. They're 13-2 and two versus the Central. They've hit a home run in 15 straight games, and in those 15 straight games, they've hit 29 total. Last 24 games, they've outscored their opponent 144 to 79. That's a run differential in 24 games of plus 65. Safe to say they got a lot of good things going. By the way, Homer Bailey, last eight starts, three and one with a 3.35 ERA, and you're paying him 250 grand. Kudos to you, David Forrest, who we will speak with David Forrest on Friday at 1:30 the general manager of your Oakland Athletics. So do you want to play the cut of what we're talking about? Uh, I need to pay off my tees at 5 o'clock. My daughter actually just said to me, how are you going to change baseball? I, I, it's killing me. My my kids are inside. We're out in the A studio. And my my daughter is, like, flipping out, going, "I it's killing me. She's 13. Because this, this would bring my daughter into baseball more. This will bring everybody. I have an idea. I'm going to save the game. I wonder if I could, like, 
monetize this. I haven't fully figured it out, but my the premise will save the game. There's a lot that we're going to have to think about, but the premise is going to save the game. So can you play? But before this, Brian Price brought it up. This happened in baseball. This is something. This is a show of change. Okay? This is a show of change. We're going to talk a lot about change. Change is good. Not always bad. Stop being my butterfly. Okay? That's my, that's my new catchphrase. Stop being a butterfly. Everybody's a butterfly. Everybody, everybody's so sensitive. Change is not bad. Change is good. Can you imagine if you didn't change, if you didn't evolve? Can you imagine? But for some reason, we've got a lot of old people in our game. Ah, that's not how we did it. I, don't, I can't do that. Sorry. Change, every other sport changes. And by the way, you better start getting ready to make some change. And Uncle Townie wants to help you out. You ready for the highlight, Commander Cody? So we set the highlight up first, though. What you, happened? you got because I don't, All I right. don't. I, I know the details. Okay, you I, go. This came out last week, and then it actually happened over the weekend. So earlier this year in February, the Atlantic League and Major League Baseball agreed to a deal where Major League Baseball would implement new strategies and roles that they wanted to do in the Atlantic League. Well, on Saturday, Tony Thomas, an outfitter for the Southern Maryland Blue Crabs, became the first player in the Atlantic League and all of professional baseball to do this. Coming all over the place, but also quite a few games where he's gone 0 4. As the 0 1 pitch misses outside, Tony Thomas is going to try to steal first. There is no throw. He's aboard. And we've seen it. Somebody has stolen first base. It is a professional baseball first, Austin. So we saw on Saturday the first professional steal of first base. At first, I thought, oh my God, this is Harlem Globetrotter. This is the. The four or five point play, you know, instead of a three pointer, you can shoot a five pointer on the court. So basically, the only time you can get to first base is when it's a strike three and the catcher does not catch it and it goes wherever it goes and you can get to first base. But this is at any point in an at bat, any point, the idea now is that whenever the catcher, it clanks off his glove, guy throws a split finger in the dirt and it gets away, or he throws one of those sliders that's nowhere close and gets away from the catcher, no matter what the count is, you can run to first base. And if they don't throw you out, you're safe. So it got me thinking, huh, what would this do? I know what it would do. It would promote more in-action, in-game action, which is the one thing baseball's lacking. Baseball's lacking. Stuff other than home run strikeouts, walks. The three true outcomes. The three true outcomes, when a pitcher releases it, he has no control, right? He has no control, but the only thing he can control Home runs, strikeouts, or walks. And that's the number one thing going in baseball. So that means less doubles, less triples, less great plays, less great throws. In-game action that's not a home run is way down. This would be in-game action. So 
Cody and I were kicking it around before the show today. You would have to, this is how I think it would work. Because right now, if you just called that a fielder's choice or something like that, it's going to help your on-base percentage, but it's not going to help your other offensive stats. And let me tell you something. Stats matter. That's how you get paid. You don't get paid. He's a winning ball player. Well, that's not going to win you anything in arbitration. People think, ah, it's all about winning, Townsend. Yeah, it is all about winning, but it's these guys' careers. That's why they don't bunt. No one bunts in the minor leagues. Why? Because you're not going to get to big leagues bunting. No one cares. How am I going to get to the big leagues? How am I going to sign $100 million? I'm not. When you pay a guy a $100 million contract to lead the league in sack bunts, then people start bunting. But you don't. You'll go to arbitration. You know what? That would be funny to see. Have a guy go, I'm just going to be the most funnily, I'm going to be the most fundamental guy. I'm going to bunt. I'm going to hit and run, hit behind hitters. Yeah, let's see how that works for you in arbitration. You're going to lose. I don't know if you saw it or not because you were, you were away for the week, but they in Korea they do a bunting. For the, you know, we do the home run derby. They do the, like a bunting contest for their all-star game. Okay, that's going to get no ratings. Yeah. So he, here's what I would do. I'd make it a base hit. I actually kind of like the idea now. I, I make it a bait. So it could be OO. Guy throws a splitter in the dirt. It gets away from the catcher. I run to first. It's a base hit. So now, now, because you gotta, you gotta incentivize the hitter to do this. Because if the hitter's just getting a fielder's choice and it's going to lower your batting average and doesn't give me a chance to hit a home run or to, or or get an extra base hit. Just getting on base, eh, it may help the team. It may help you score more runs. But once again, I'm about also taking care of me and my family. So how can I make this as commissioner of baseball, as this is a show about change, I make it a base hit. Now all of a sudden, think about this too. This, this, I, you know who, you know who we got to talk to about this? Oh, my God. You know who would love this if you explained it the right way? Because let's face it, we, our broadcast team is very old school. And one guy who I cannot wait to bust his you-know-what is Vince Catronio. Vince Catronio is very old school. Vince Catronio, I wouldn't say he'll throw me under the bus, but he'll kind of like, what's the best way to do it? Say it. He'll look at me or he'll even like get on me live on the air if he thinks I've said something that's ridiculous. Like when I talked about the opener last year. How much I like the opener. And he went, well, that's just something that people who don't have good starting staffs are going to use. You know, teams like the Houston Astros won't ever use it. That was his example was the Houston Astros. Guess who's using an opener tonight? The Houston Astros. Oh, the you know, you, you, New York Yankee. Guess who uses the opener all the time? The New York Yankees. Yeah, the opener. I was actually slapped around by Vince Catronio last year about what the Rays were doing and how the A's implemented it in September. 
and it was the Houston Astros are so good they won't use it. Uh, they're using it tonight. From the 5-1, I, I forgot to tell you, you can text us. We can't take phone calls, but you can text us at 510-897-1322. That's 510-897-1322. And Glenn has just texted in. This is fabulous. Imagine Ricky Henderson if this rule would have been instituted in the past. Oh, my God. Think about guys who are left-handed. Think about, I mean, they whatever they had Mickey Mantle before he hurt his knee, what down to first base. Imagine, guys, and think about just all the fast left-handed guys. Ball gets away, boom, they're down to first. They'd be in first base, no problem. And you give them a base hit. So not only does it help their batting average, it helps their on-base percentage. It makes more action. But you know how why Fossey, I think, would be into it? Because it now makes blocking the baseball a premium for catchers. Because Fossey has a, a, a statistic. He keeps catchers' blocks. Did you know that in the, his book? I didn't know that, no. He has a place in his scorebook for catchers' blocks and different types of catchers' blocks. Well, all of a sudden, if you're a catcher that – because, I mean, catchers get lazy these days. If you're a catcher that's phenomenal at blocking and keeping guys from getting this free base hit, that could improve your value. I think I could sell Fossey on this. Another guy we can ask about this, too, is Coco. Coco being a switch hitter and a, a guy that, you know, was a, was a base stealer. How does he feel about this as a guy that – but as a left, could be a left-handed batter, and this happens, and he reached first base. He was a little, he, he had speed when he played. Oh my, of course, Coco was really fast. Uh, is Coco here tomorrow? I'll double check. He was here. He was here this weekend. He was so here I'll this check. weekend. Let's see if he's here tomorrow. We'll ask Coco. Okay, how am I going to save baseball? I've teased you enough. So essentially, what they are doing in the Atlantic League. Is not only are they doing this stolen base, I mean this uh, steal first base deal. They they are now trying out TrackMan, and they are doing the automated ball strike system ABS. And they've done it, and it's radar, it's the 3D Doppler, it's all this kind of stuff, and essentially what happens and how they're using it. And you can check out this. Uh, I got this on The Athletic, right? Yeah, I saw this article on The Athletic. And the umpire has a is – is it an AirPod is what he has? He has AirPods? So he has AirPods in his ears. And essentially when the pitch is thrown, it tells the umpire, ball or strike. And they went and they got a, a a home plate umpire, a guy that it's been around. And they got this guy. And so if anything went wrong, because at one point the technology it left for just a little bit, so then he had to he had to be cool and calm because they knew. And his name is Brian DeBrower, I believe is how you say his name. He had an iPhone and he had the AirPods. And at some point, the technology flipped out for just a little bit, so he had to start calling balls and strikes. It was seamless. Pitchers really didn't – it really didn't affect the pitchers because the pitchers – the ball got to – so, like, they'd throw the pitch, 
catcher would throw it back, they'd catch it, and then they would then they, it would be ball or strike. So it took a little time. This is all brand new. The kind of technology, we can do anything you want. And par- partially how I think we can change baseball. And we saw it yesterday, Wimbledon, with one of the greatest finals in the history of Wimbledon. When you see how they use technology, and I want to get to Andrew Brandt, too, who I think is a brilliant, he's former Packer vice president. I think Andrew Brandt's brilliant. And he said something to me on my old talk show that has that has stuck with me, and I have not lost the idea because the way he told me, it was just like, the NFL is so stupid. I mean, it's so stupid. And he writes for the MMQB now, Business of Sports podcast, uh, also NFL Biz Insider. God, he's actually doing stuff for Amazon now. Former Packers VP, Andrew Brandt. I'll get to him in a second. So my idea, and kind of watching Wimbledon, so Wimbledon, and they have this in all tennis now, is, is the whole court's wired. So Federer hits a ball, and out or in, they immediately show you, with the technology, they immediately show you where the ball landed on the court. They immediately show it. The technology is there. And I'm trying to look through our notes, Cody. What is it? And this is, baseball is actually what I found out from uh, Dr. Uh, what we found out from Dr. Wills is that baseball is getting rid of TrackMan. It's a Hawkeye is what it's called. And they're going to go to Hawkeye what, and I don't know if Dr. Wills wanted me to put this out there, but uh, TrackMan is going away because TrackMan, their deal with baseball's up, and they're going to go to Hawkeye next year. So Hawkeye uses six or more computer-linked television cameras situated around the court. This is for, for, for tennis. The computer reads in the video in real time and tracks the path of the tennis ball on each camera. These six separate views are then combined together to produce an accurate 3D representation of the path of the ball. They could do the same thing with pitches. Yes, a video strike zone. But this is where I'm going to hook you. Because so I, I like human If I keep hearing I like human error, it's going to make me throw up. How cool would it be if we could all download the app that the umpire has and everybody in the stands could actually see every pitch in real time if it was a ball and a strike? Think about that. You sit down the left field line. You sit down the right field line. You're our friends out in right field, our friends out in left field. We love you. You can't see whether it's a ball and a strike. But what if baseball created the technology using, what's it called, Hawkeye? You can build it. We're in Silicon Valley, for God's sakes. Well, I'm in Silicon Valley. You may be somewhere other than that in the Bay Area, Northern California, but I'm in Silicon Valley. You cannot tell me you could not hook up with a company and an engineer who could create an app that in real time, I mean, MLB's tech, by the way, MLB's technology sucks. It stinks. How slow, like like if you follow MLB, tried to follow the game on MLB.com and the pitches come in slow, if you're at the game, 
If you're not at the game, you don't know any. See, this is what get people in the ballpark. Why want you millennials to get into the ballpark? The reason why is if we put the game on your phone, and because we're addicted to our phones. Our phones mean more to us. If, if I could say, what's the one thing? Take keys to your car out of the equation. What's the one thing you can't leave your house without? Women used to, would, would say a purse. I bet women would say their phone. We'll ask Sarah. Sarah Langs. What's, I mean, I know because you can have your credit cards on your phone. You're addicted to your phone. They know it. They've designed these phones to be addicting. So I'm just playing to your addiction. If I build an app that we will see the balls and strikes called by Hawkeye instead of an old man whose eyesight isn't as good anymore and he doesn't see the 98-mile-an-hour fast, how do we expect these guys to call a 98-mile-an-hour moving fast, uh, uh, moving fastball, two-seamer? They talk about how hitters have such a, in their brain, the time it takes for them to actually react is milliseconds. Well, it's the same thing for the umpire. You take Hawkeye, build an app where you connect as a fan to Hawkeye, and you can watch on your phone balls and strikes in real time from anywhere in the ballpark. It would ne- You take that and the in-game betting, which is going to happen, you'll get more people in the ballpark, I guarantee it. I guarantee ten- attendance will go up because I'm now making it more about you. See, that's the thing that I realized covering the Warriors. The Warriors make the games about the fans. Yeah, you like seeing Steph Curry. You like seeing Klay Thompson. But all the stuff that they do, it's so, oh, my God, the music's blaring. They're shooting. No, do not film me right now. The, you, you, they're shooting T-shirts. They're throwing pizzas. They're, they, it's not even about the game. Have you ever so a lot of you probably haven't been to a warrior game. It's a it's it's a sideshow. They got the hoop troop. They got the cheerleaders. They've got more going on. That's what they care about. They're entertaining you at all times. And every NBA team is doing it and people love it. Rich people. The you know how rich you have to be? You got to make a lot of money to be able to go to warrior games. And people, they're, 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 they're dropping T-shirts in parachutes. And grown men who make a lot of money are fighting for the T-shirts. They're, they're, they're front, uh, was, it, was it Starbucks cards that they were? So at Oracle, they would drop these little parachutes with freebie stuff. Rich people fighting for freebie stuff. They make the game about the fans. You old school baseball people who need to change. We need netting all around so people aren't getting hit. And we need to tap in more to the phone. We need more than just saying, hey, send us a picture on Twitter. We need to put the game on people's phones so they can sit there and go, oh, that was a ball. That was a strike. That was it. You need to connect with the fans that, the younger crowd that way. 
That's my solution. And I would, I, I would, once I came up with this, once again, I really never come up with great ideas for changing anything. This is a really good idea. Get me Dave Cavill on the phone right now. I don't care if he's in Sacramento. I don't care if he's in D.C. I don't care. Get me Dave Cavill on the line right now. And then that's when we play crickets. I think Cavill's going to love it. You think, like, if this actually goes down and the A's are like, because, like, look, what we're doing now, A's Cast Live, a live show on, on the TuneIn app on A's Cast. No other team's doing that. We've invented this. You think Cav will give me credit? Like, And I don't need public credit. I mean credit as in my bank account. Oh, I don't know. He'll say, he might say, you know, one of our employees here at the A's. It's another project. We're taking on another project. Townie don't do projects. Townie does cash. You're welcome, A's and Major League Baseball. I've just solved your problems. Now we just need an engineer to create this and figure out how to do it. See, I, I don't know exactly how Hawkeye works. I kind of have a more better idea about TrackMan, but you can make anything happen. You can make anything happen. If I could put the game on your phone from a standpoint of the pitcher, the battle between the pitcher and the hitter, TrackMan. Oh, by the way, in this game, you know the one thing that TrackMan called that not everybody liked? It's called the high strike. That's no longer in baseball. It's what's created launch angle. It's what's created just everybody swing out of their you-know-what. But you know what you can't do? You, you, you want to level the playing field with your juice baseball? Start calling the high strike because the high strike is really a strike. Letters to the knees. You call letter to the knees, I guarantee you the home runs are coming down. I would guarantee it. I can't wait to bring this up to Sarah. Do we have Sarah? I cannot. I, I, she's either going to love this or she's going to absolutely shut us down. She is one of the best follower on Twitter, S. Lang on Sports. That's S. Lang on Sports. I check her stuff every day because her nuggets are unbelievable. Sarah Langs from MLB.com joining us here on A's Cast Live with Chris Townsend. Sarah, how have you been? Hey, I'm great. How are you? Thank you for that intro. I think I can fix baseball from a standpoint of attendance. What do you got? All right. Did you read the article about the Atlantic League and them using TrackMan to call balls and strikes? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What if I could? I'm in Silicon Valley right now. We're around Google, Amazon, Apple. Apple's almost literally down the street from me. What if I got one of their they're engineers, and I created an app where everybody in the ballpark could download this app. Now, we're going to have to go to Robo Strike Zone here, but I could follow that strike zone in real time on my phone no matter where my seat was in baseball. Oh, my goodness. Feels like it opens the door to a lot of people being unhappy on Twitter, doesn't it? <laughs> Well, but, but but think about when you're when you're down the left field line, the right field line. You can't tell whether it's a ball or a strike. 
now because I could I, I, I could get this app to connect to because basically what's going to happen is I, I found this out is that baseball is going away from TrackMan and next year they're signing a deal with Hawkeye and Hawkeye is these cameras and 3D that basically if you watch Wimbledon that's what they have in tennis well you could do what we saw in tennis whether the ball was in or out at Wimbledon we could do with the actual strike zone and now every single fan in the ballpark could follow along and real time i see what you're saying i mean i think it's not really that different from what we see on a lot of the national broadcasts, even the local broadcast now right where you get the little box of the strike zone obviously it doesn't really adjust for the batter or anything like that but when you get the little k zone kind of next to the pitcher and next to the batter during the at bat so you're just saying you know you're sitting in the stands and you would kind of still see that i like it yeah do you remember when that first came out everybody hated it and now every broadcast yeah. has it yeah, and you're when it's not there, you're you're looking for it. You're like, I, I need to know where that pitch is. It's great, you know, that we can look on game day and everything. And, you know, obviously it does lead to a lot of criticism of umpires, and I always think that, you know, there's a reason that they're the professionals and there's a reason that those people are doing that. Um, so that always makes me feel a little bit badly, but it is nice to be able to see that and follow along. And to your point about not knowing, I mean, I have been at so many games in the stands in my life where, you know, you hear everyone in the crowd complaining about a call, and I'm like, none of them can even see it. So to that point, at least you make people more informed, right? So if they're going to complain, at least they can be, you know, informed complaints. Yeah, and that's where I think, like, yesterday we had a play at the plate with Matt Chapman, and after you really looked at a different camera angles, he was safe. He was called out. Uh, but he was safe, and the problem is with replay, what we have now is that you have to overturn the call, and it's not its not the technology that has to overturn the call. It's still human beings back in New York have to use the technology, and they don't like overturning calls. So it's like, how can we get this game? We have all this technology. We can do everything we can with technology, but yet, the humans are still deciphering balls and strikes out or safe. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I'm, I'm so in favor of all of the innovations that we've seen in baseball. And I think instant replay has obviously been such a good thing, even though we do see sometimes calls that maybe should have gone another way. But I sometimes I just feel so old fashioned when I'm like, you know what? I miss the human element, you know, like the New York Mets would not have a no hitter if there was instant replay in 2012 when Johan Santana threw that no-hitter because Carlos Beltran hit a ball down the left field line that was definitely fair. And it was called foul, and that was it. And that was before the advent of replay or anything else like that. So, you know, you can think back to so many moments in time, and the truth is that, you know, it all evens out in the wash, right? I mean, you know, they've probably had another call that didn't go their way, you know, at some point in their history before replay began. So, you know, I'm still adjusting to the fact that we get fewer of those kinds of moments. I don't know. Just the baseball geek in me loves those things and that kind of lore. Let's talk about another adjustment, and I'm looking at your Twitter account. And on your timeline yesterday, <laughs> July 14th, I think one of the tweets that you had yesterday says it all. Christian Yelich just hit his 32nd home run of the year. Last year on July 14th, he had 11. I this has absolutely blown me away because think about what we saw from Christian Yelich in the second half last season. And to be fair, it was really the second half where he turned it on, but he was like the best player we had seen in a very long time outside of the Mike Trouts and whoever else for a whole half of a season. And it's just incredible that he came in day one this year and he was that guy, if not better, he's making incredibly good contact. 
his hard hit rate is the exact same right now to this moment as it was last year. He's hitting the ball with a 94.2 average mile an hour average exit velocity. He's just doing everything. But, you know, it's interesting. I was uh, looking into some stuff yesterday. I was just getting curious, looking at some stuff with Bellinger and him. And obviously, you know, MLB rolled out, by the way, those outstanding ads during the All-Star break with the belly yelly. If you haven't seen those, go to their Twitter. Um, They play, they say, let's play MVP. And they basically play horse but hitting home runs. But anyway, I was looking at the two of them and you know, what's really distinguished Bellinger to this point in this year is they've both done the uh, offense. You know, we've seen it outside, you know, off, off the charts, but Yelich's defense is not quite as good as Bellinger's. Bellinger is really speedy and he's worked on that a bunch this year. And Yelich hasn't done that. He's one of the absolute worst in our outfielder jump metric on Statcast, and his outs above average is not good. We have these little sliders, if you go to the page on uh, Baseball Savant's website, and he's in the blue on like a blue to red scale, which is not where you want to be. That being said, obviously, he is a top two MVP candidate right now. But it's interesting to me how Bellinger has distinguished himself in that way. And when I think about you being in New York, have you been paying attention to our green and gold as the A's right now? If it all ended today, they'd be in the playoffs or 12 games over 500. They're scoring a ton of runs. What do you think about the Oakland Athletics right now on July 15th? Yeah, you know, it's funny because I think I was actually pretty high on them entering the year. And I think kind of early in the season, I was like, wow, was I was I wrong about that? You know, what's going on here? But I think they've really turned around. I think they've been great. I think they're a lot of fun to watch. You know, there's I, I would I wish I could watch Matt Chapman play for every team every night. You know, I stay up. I watch all the West Coast games. I watch everything. But I wish I could watch him even more than that. And I think, you know, the trade for Homer Bailey yesterday is interesting. I mean, Homer Bailey is certainly the most, you know, trade acquisition worthy of a candidate that he's been in the last few years so I think you know good on them to make a move and try to address there at least to get some innings um but I was excited to see that because I was like yeah I want them to go for this you know I want them to be competitive and I thought that they had such a great season last year and you know it's just the curse of the wild card game the way that it works you have one game you you know march into Yankee Stadium it's really hard you know and it's really great to see them coming back raring this year and, you know, hopefully headed for the playoffs again. A guy that you get to see a lot, and we brought it up in our pre-show meeting, and all of a sudden I, my producer Cody was like, hey, I could see the Astros getting this guy. I went, really? Noah Syndergaard, and I'm wondering about Thor. Like, to me, I'm not trading him, but who knows with the way the, the Mets season's going, and do they want to rebuild? Is there going to be a lot of change? What's going on with Syndergaard? Do you think he'll be moved? You know, everything I've seen in terms of what Brody Van Wagenen has said and what the team has said was basically that, you know, DeGrom is definitely safe and it seems like Syndergaard is too. But, I mean, personally, I wonder if, you know, Zach Wheeler just went on the injured list today and I would not, if I were in a front office, I would still probably be interested in acquiring him at this point. Um, It doesn't seem to be, you know, a surgery type of injury. It just seems to be like he's going to be out 10 days. Uh, And I think he could really help a team down the stretch. But if teams are a little wary of acquiring him with that injury, I I wonder if that might convince the Mets. I mean, I have no I have no inside knowledge there. But, you know, that might maybe um, convince them to market a guy like Syndergaard. You know, if they were sort of planning on getting some sort of haul back for Wheeler and that, you know, might not be coming anymore. But, you know, it's just interesting. I mean, Syndergaard was so good when he first came up. He was so good for them in that postseason And it's just been really interesting to see what's happened since. Obviously, he was injured 
in 2017, excuse me. And last year, you know, he had a 303 ERA, but he wasn't really the cinder guard that we'd seen. And he talked a lot in spring training this year about how he wasn't satisfied with what he had done in 2018 and how he wanted to be significantly better this year. And unfortunately, he just he really hasn't been. He has a 4.55 ERA. He is a 385th. So, I mean, there's definitely been some defensive issues and other stuff going on behind him, but he still hasn't been that Thor that we're used to seeing. And, you know, the thing that really concerns me is that slider was his pitch, and it has not been his pitch at all this year. He really hasn't been able to rely on it as an out pitch. And I remember, you know, uh, in 2016 and even 2015, I was kind of starting to get into being a researcher. I had just started my first job in 2015, and like looking up notes on his slider was one of my absolute favorite things. It was like how I learned to like use our old tools with the pitch types and all that kind of stuff. And it's, it's not as great of results when you look at it now. So that's kind of an area of concern, but that being said, you know, he's been a predominantly healthy pitcher in his career and I'm sure he could help the team down the stretch. I'm just not sure if they're going to want to move him. Yeah. You're one of those smarty smartisans from the university of Chicago. <laughs> No, no. I was just learning to use sports websites. You know, <laughs> slightly different. Ah, University of Chicago is a big deal. We know about that here out west. <laughs> okay, so I want to throw another picture at you in our neck of the woods that there's been a whole lot of talk about as he has mm -hmm. one of the great postseason resumes in the history of baseball, but his stuff clearly isn't the same. What do you think happens with Madison Bumgarner? Ah, you know, okay, so my parents are going to listen to this when it goes up as a podcast uh, tomorrow or later tonight because they're not in the Bay Area, so they can't listen live. So I won't get the angry text from my mother until tomorrow. So at least I have that going for me. She is a big Giants fan. She really does not want Madison Bumgarner to be traded. I do not think that she will get her wish. I mean, I just think that he is such a valuable trade chip for that team, and I think that Farhan Zaidi will make that move um, just based on what we've seen from him so far um, and what we know of his track record. And as we said, you know, there are a lot of teams out there that need pitching, and the allure of what Bumgarner could do in the postseason is I just think so captivating to these teams and the truth is he's been a lot better this year maybe not across the board but certainly over the last two months at this point than he had been in a very long time I mean he's starting to look like the Bumgarner before he had his couple different injury issues and that's really intriguing you know and it's intriguing to see where that sort of momentum might go I mean you know, he has a 3.86 ERA right now. He was actually better last year, but he didn't pitch as much. He's, his next start will match his total from last season, and he is just really starting to look like that 2016 Bumgarner, which I think most people would say was like his last good year. It's the last time he got Cy Young votes. He finished fourth. And, you know, he's been striking out more guys. He had 10 strikeouts and then nine strikeouts. Um, and back-to-back -back starts the other day where he almost had back-to-back -back 10 strikeout games for the first time in like two years. And I really think that he could help the team. And he has a lot fewer red flags than a guy like Syndergaard um, because he, he is having a better season across the board. But, you know, it, it'll just be interesting. You know, it's so interesting to think of this Giants core and think about the fact that, you know, this guy who was so key to those three World Series, and obviously that's how he built that postseason resume, that he could be traded away and that we could really see the end of, I mean, the Giants dynasty ended in 2016 against the Cubs in that ninth inning, but this would really kind of shut the door, if you ask me.
So in your neck of the woods, uh, the Yankees, when they take on the Rays, the Rays are the little engine that could, and they seem to – they're afraid of nobody. But when they get in the Bronx, man, dating back to September 2014 – the Yankees have won 34 of 47 from the Rays, and the Rays have lost 14 of 15 series in the Bronx in that span. Why do you think the Rays have struggled so much in Yankee Stadium? Yeah, you know, it's so weird, right? I mean, so many of these things are so inexplicable. If you look at what the Twins have done at Yankee Stadium, obviously they don't play them as frequently, so the span actually goes further back to match the same number of games. But the Minnesota Twins have this thing where they absolutely cannot win at Yankee Stadium. I think they ended up winning a game there this year, but I honestly can't even remember. But it was a thing. It was a stretch. It was one of whatever. And I, I, I don't even know. It feels like this has to be intangibles at play in some way because – the Rays, for the better part of a year plus now, have been a pretty good team. And to their credit, I have it on right in front of me, they're up 2 nothing right now because Travis Darno has two solo home runs. He led off the game with a solo home run, which is just not what I expected 2019 to look like on July 15th. But you, you just have to figure that the way the Yankees come out, and the Yankees play everyone good at home, and it's maybe it's just that they play the Rays there so much that somehow this is how the law of averages works out. Because, you know, we're talking about a team with Blake Snell and a lot of really good players. So I, I wonder if it'll still look that way if we look at it in like two years when the teams have been concurrently good for the same amount of time. Because if you talk about three years ago, I mean, it's a very different Rays team, right, than they've been really since partway through last year. All right, I want you to put your G. I want you to put your. Uh, I want you to be the the leader of baseball. You're going to be the commissioner. Rob Manfred <laughs> said, "Sarah, we're putting you in charge for a day." And last night on Sunday Night Baseball, you could tell Vaskersian and the core they were not thrilled with the long extra inning game. The game went well past midnight on the East Coast. You know, we'll see games go 17, 18 innings. Nobody's in the stands. Everybody has to go home because they got to work. Uh, you know that the ratings on television and radio all take a nosedive. What would you do with extra innings in baseball? God, you know, I'm, I'm the person who just wants the games to go on forever. I am the person who loves the 20-inning games and whatever else. You know, I think there was some game – that went a really long time. Obviously, there have been a bunch, but at some point last year, and uh, Buster only had me on his podcast the next day, and we were talking about this, and whoever his other guest was that day completely disagreed with me. We didn't talk at the same time, but I learned because Buster told me, because I said, I want all the long games. And the other person was like, no, we should just end after 10. But I, you know, back to what I said, honestly, about replay and this human element. I mean, I just love, I have such distinctive memories of like every 20 inning game that has been played at least in the last 10 years. I remember where I was. I remember what I was doing. I remember the 15 things I did during it or the fact that I didn't move off my couch and I'm just always going to love those things. But I also understand that that may not be how the general public feels, but you know, we're not seeing, it feels like there's a lot of extra inning games and this isn't what I'm about to tell you. Isn't necessarily about how long those games go, but there's, 8.48% of games this season have gone to extras. That's no context, so I will tell you that last year was 8.89%. So we're down from last year. And there really hasn't been any sort of trend in this, honestly, at any point in baseball history, other than that there were actually more extra in games if you go back to the 40s. Um, it was 10% of games in 2013. There's, like, no real. It's kind of hovered between, like, 
11 and seven or eight over the last, you know, 10 or 20 years. And I think it's something that, I don't know. I just love watching those games. You know, if it were something like the, it was 20% of games this year and that hadn't happened in 50 years, then okay. You know, maybe there's something we need to address here. But, you know, if anything, I, I love seeing how these managers have to piece stuff together and the legends you get or who hits the latest walk-off home run in franchise history. Like Buster Posey did that for the Giants. I think it was two years ago. And it was like, the Giants have existed forever. And Buster Posey just did that. That's so cool. And those things will always get to me. So, unfortunately, I would stand pat, but I understand why other people might not want that to happen. You just blew my mind. How do you know that? What was it, (laughs) 8.4% this year? Yeah, 8.48. So, I guess it rounds to 8.5. But, yeah. So so I'm I'm stealing this. All right. And then last year was 8.9? Yeah, last year was 8.89. Yeah, so 8.9 if we're rounding. Oh, my God. This is why you are like the – if you're into baseball and you're into numbers, you have to follow her on Twitter, at S Langs on Sports. You are absolutely fabulous. Thank you so much for the time, and we'll be in touch very, very soon. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Oh, my God. It rolled off the tongue. It rolled off the tongue. Oh, well, it's 8.4. round up 8.5% of very uh, Unbelievable. Text her and say, you're the best. Seriously, tell her I said she is the best. She is. She's absolutely amazing. And her on Buster's podcast, she does She does a, a, a top three of these stats, and it's just she went to the University of Chicago. She's really, really smart, obviously. Okay. I now want to talk about extra innings. We're going to talk about it. Do we agree with Sarah on extra innings? You're going to find out next right here on A's Cast Live. Now back to A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Can I just tell you that today is arguably the greatest day of my life? Did I mention that? I will tell you why. Because while I was in San Diego for the All-Star break, I stopped by Costco. So I got I got a routine down. We land, Uber up to the restaurant, the San Diego Chicken Pie Shop, celebrating 81 years in business. Second oldest restaurant in San Diego. Just won uh, District 39, Small Business of the Year. Kudos to my brother and my sister-in-law. So we sit the two family, the Babcocks go with us. We sit the families down. And me and Jason hop in my sister-in-law's car, go down the hill in Mission Valley, and we go to Costco. Load up on a bunch of food because, God, the kids need snacks. And there's breakfast, and then there's... More importantly, you got to get all your beer and you got to get your booze and wine. Well, the Traeger guy's there. If you don't know what a Traeger smoker is, look it up. It's the greatest thing ever invented. It's like putting the man on the moon. It's incredible. Changed my life. Well, I've always had a, they're like the small Traeger. Well, the guy from Traeger was there, and I started talking because I literally ran into him. 
and I bought and had it shipped up here to San Jose, this big, huge Traeger. I don't know the actual model. It's it's in a monster box on the deck in my backyard, and as soon as this show is over, I'm going to put it together. Commander Cody looked it up. We landed on the moon on July 16th. What year? 191? So we launched on July 16th. We returned on July 21st. So, yeah, 1969, 50 years ago, we landed on the moon coming up. More importantly, July 15th, 2019, my new Traeger came. Well, not only that, did it show up today. FedEx, big truck showed up, brought Traeger to my home. Now, I don't know what they've sent me. I got another package. You saw how big the thing looks. It, it's like the biggest non-commercial Traeger that they sell. And now there's a box that my wife just say, yeah, another thing from Traeger came. So I've not, I've gotten two things from Traeger today. And my kids go, I thought it was the day we were born was the great. No, no, no. The day the new smoker came is the greatest day. That. What about when you got married? No, 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 no. I cannot wait. I always say that, too, but that was the greatest day of my life, too. What? Getting married. I had that work out. Yeah, the April 20th came, 420 came, and that was the greatest day of my life after that. That was the divorce. There, there it is. The divorce was official. Hey, well, at least we know one thing. You're not – your first marriage you, – you, you might want to not think about number two. I'm just saying. No offense. Sometimes marriage is just not for people. I'm just, just saying. Would you get married again? Uh, it's been discussed. Oh, it has? Yeah, I mean, we're coming up on three years now. Oh, wow. You're getting sucked back in. I know. Just when you thought you were out, they pull you right back in. I mean, I'm 30 years old. i got to think about marriage and, you know, having uh, having someone take over the Elias name you as you get older. Well, you have the dog last name be Elias, too. Yeah, uh, true. Dog, my puppy, Leia, she can take over and rule yes, the world. Yes, your puppy. All right. So last night, it was, did you watch the game last night? Sunday night base. Uh, first of all, anytime you play at four, anytime you play at Fenway Park, and I've had this argument with my cousins who are all, they, the, 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 the family business back in Massachusetts has, uh, which is not part of my, it's our family. They're in the heating oil business, so they got season tickets to everything. And, I, and, and I've had this debate with them, like, this is horrible. How do you guys sit here and watch four-and-a-half, five-hour games? It, it's, it's every game. You, you can't turn on a game from Fenway Park and it's not four-plus hours. Right? And, and this wasn't the Yankees. This was the Dodgers. And you could tell last night, A-Rod, her name's Mendez. Jessica Mendoza. Jess, Mendo, Jessica Mendoza. I was close. Um, and Matt Vaskersian, we're all just like, oh, my God. It's after midnight. And recently, I had a caller on the Ace Clubhouse show. And I, I complained about extra innings. And he gave me the same thing that Sarah did about, I don't care about time. I said, well, you know what? That's great. And that's selfish for you. But the majority of us, we've got families, we've got kids, we got to get up the next day. I don't have to, I really don't have five hours, and then that's great. You get to go home. Me, I still got to do a post game show. So, no, I don't agree with you. And no, the sport was never, ever designed to be this long. So, you archaic people 
as we're trying to, this is a show of change today. We're trying to change the game for the better. No one ever said, let's play three and a half, four, four and a half hour games. Modern day baseball has changed from yesteryear baseball. So really the old, this old guard that doesn't want to change anything. Well, uh, by the way, yesteryear they used to play two hours and 15 minutes, two hours and 30 They weren't, and even in the 80s, the 70s, the 60s, the 40s, the 30s, they they had to go extra innings to play three hours. Now we can have a three-two ball game that goes nine innings, and it's four hours and 15 minutes. Guess what? That's not right. And I know I'm right. You can't fight me on this. Anybody who says, I don't care how how long's the game get, you got nothing to do tomorrow. Sorry, I got little kids. I got to get up. I got to feed them. I got to take them to school. I don't want to be getting home at 2 in the morning. I have a life. What kind of life do you have if you don't care if the game's on? Hey, put it this way. If I'm wrong, why is nobody in the stadium during? Look at all these extra inning games when they go 18 innings. Look. There's no one in the stands. They all go home. Hey, sweet, a couple hundred people dig it. That's not good for the game. You can't tell me it's good for the game. You want to go to the television ratings on an 18-inning game? Nobody's still up. You want to talk about radio ratings? Flatline, dead. How is this good for the game? Oh, I want to see this game go 17 innings when basically no one's consuming the product. So, Commander Cody... I've challenged you today. Tell me, tell me why I should think extra free baseball. By the way, beer sales cut off in in the uh, bottom of the seventh. So now I'm cut off from beer. Tell me why I should be excited about extra innings baseball. I think the one thing baseball needs to do, or not do, but could do to change this, and hockey did this. Hockey added the shootout after one overtime. And now you see in the playoffs and they have a continuous overtime, like, you know, a sudden death until, you know, first team to score wins. I think baseball, a good thing they could do, and we saw how successful the home run derby was this year and how exciting it was, is why not play maybe one or two innings of extra innings? If the game doesn't end, you take the best hitters, maybe two or three, or just take your best home run hitter on each team and have a home run derby and the guy that wins, that's who wins the game. Kind of like hockey with the shootout. But instead of taking the shootout uh, concept you do with the home run derby, and then that way, whatever team wins, wins. If you want to bring points into it like hockey does with, you know, an overtime loss is still a point because they go by the point system, not standings, which that can then convolutes everything for baseball. Just have two guys go for the home run derby like last night. You have Bellinger and J.D. Martinez go at it in extra innings. Who would not want to see that happen? Sold. Absolutely sold. My scorebook ends after 11 innings. I'll give you 12. 12 innings, I mean, even that, God, 12 innings could be, you could be there for five hours. It's almost like I do not like putting an extra runner on second. I don't like that. Well, that's one of the things they're talking about doing, right? Yeah, like I don't like that because now you're like, you're, you're, you're trying to make it too easy to score. You know what? Let's say you've got two innings. I'm going to give you two. After nine and you're tied, and we're going to extra innings, you got two innings to win it. And then we're bringing out the L screen, warm up whoever your best bullpen, whoever your best BP pitcher is, line up Bellinger, line up J.D. Martinez, and let her rip. And 
you get 10 outs, like old school home run yeah. derby. You get 10 outs. Whoever hits the most home runs is is your winner. And look how exciting you make the product. You have millennials now watching it because the game is still – if you get the game through two hours, say you get two, two and a half hours, let's just be realistic. We get the two and a half hours, and you're like, you know what? Let's get Bellinger. Let's get let's get JD Martinez. Or for the A's, we get Matt Chapman up there against Mike Trout. Who would not want to see Mike Trout oh, versus my God. Matt Chapman? Oh Homer my Derby. God! Oh seriously. Or Otani versus Ramon Luriano, who all of a sudden is a power hitter and he has eighteen did, home did, runs. Did you see his home run yesterday? Yes. Like I love him, right? If anything, that should have been a double. That ball when when it hit off the bat, I thought it was a fly ball. It just kept going and going and going and barely gets out. Come on. It's a marine layer. <laughs> marine on. layer in the afternoon. You can't, you can't tell me. The one know. thing you mentioned about this, the guy on second base, the first thing I thought of, what if the batter steals first? Then you got two runners on. Yeah, there you go. Guy first and third because what if the guy from second goes to third? I actually really, really like that idea. Now, during the postseason, all hands on deck, it's going to go till the game. Fine. You want to do the World Series game that goes a bazillion? That's fine. I get it. Playoffs, I get it. Regular season, there is no reason to be playing 17 innings. It screws up both teams. It's just, it's just, it, it makes no sense. Every, every, I'm not telling you, I'm not telling you to have a salary cap, but you can't tell me having a luxury tax has not helped the game. There's not a hard salary cap, but there is this luxury tax, kind of a ceiling that's kept teams from. And it's made the game a little more competitive. Well, I'm not telling you to have a clock, but I might. But but you are going to have. All right, this is going 11, and then we're going to home run derby. Or don't even, you said 10 outs? Don't even do 10 outs. Just do like they did when uh, Jock and Vlad just kept going forever in home run derby. Give them no, 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 no. We got to put a cap on something. No, no. I was going to say, let them go three swings instead of ten outs. Go no, three ten swings. outs is fine. You get ten outs. I was just trying to speed it up for you a little bit. I mean, just ten outs. I mean, because because I I I got a every good business deal is a deal where both sides feel like they win. And if if you make it too quick, because I'm I'm going to have plenty of people who are like this is this is idiotic. This is not how the game's played. Okay, here's what we're going to do. We'll give you 10 outs the way they used to do it in Home Run Derby. And if a guy goes off, it'll extend it a little more, give you excitement. I'm not going to put a time on your game, but I'm going to kind of put a cap. Kind of like what baseball has done. I'm not going to put a salary cap, but I am going to put a luxury tax. Yeah, you can go over that luxury tax. You can go over as much as you want, but you're going to pay a penalty. That's the thing that, you know, you got to control the game a little bit. And I understand Sarah gave us the great number that 8.5% of games are going to extra innings compared to 10% in 2013 or last year, uh, 8.9. But I just, no one's, I don't understand how, if you told me that all X, whatever the number is, if you told me that everybody who was at the game stayed at the game and everybody who was watching it on television kept watching it on television and everybody who was listening to it on the radio, well, I'll just say this. If you could tell me, if you could show me any kind of data that says at least 70% during these long extra innings games, 70% of... The people who attended the game 
watch the game on television and listen on the radio, just 70, not 100, not 90, not 80, but 70 stayed with the game. Either there, sitting in your seat, watching on television or listening on the radio, then, then you might be able to convince me. But I can guarantee you it's crickets once you get to a certain point. It's cr- It's pointless. you got to wake up the next day to find out what happened. Who is really in favor of that? I don't get it. But that's another thing that needs to change. Boog Shambi, who does Sunday Night Baseball, his idea is 12 innings. I'm going to I'm going to one up him. I'm going I'm going 11. Go 11 innings. Game's not decided. I like Commander Cody. We're going to home run derby. We're going to put out the L screen. You get to pick whoever your guy is. I mean, as you put it, how how can you tell me if you said, "Okay, this game is going to be decided by Matt Chapman, or Mike Trout. How many people, how many people through social media would, because we, we have the numbers, folks. See, the problem with this pro, long, extra inning games, we have the numbers. First of all, you can just watch on television and see the numbers for yourself. All these games turned into a ghost town. So we know we know what happens. We know that the ratings stink. How many people would stick around? How many people would even go back to television? Let's say you left and went, oh, God, it's in the 10th inning. i got to go to work tomorrow. How about if all of a sudden it pops up on Twitter on the A's account or the Angels account that, all right, 11 innings, still tied 5-5. This is going to be decided between Matt Chapman and Mike Trout. You say we don't market the stars enough in baseball? You telling me? Okay, here you go. How about this one? Padres and Dodgers are tied. It's going to be Manny Machado up against Bellinger. If I saw that, if you saw, I mean, if if I saw, I don't know, give me another one, Acuna Jr. against whoever. If I saw that on Twitter, I'm immediately going to my phone, and I'm going to the MLB app, and I'm going to watch that. We're coming up with some unbelievable answers. That would be putting, so so basically... If we're going to go to, let's just call it somewhere between about 8.5 to 9% of the time, games are going to extra innings. How many of those games hit the hit, hit, hit 11? You'd be highlighting your stars. You wouldn't want to see J.D. Martinez up against Aaron Judge. In a home run derby to decide the game. And there's no points. Whoever hits more home runs, that team wins. And can you imagine? Think about this. 
Because something that we lived as A's fans, where the season came down to one game. Came down to one game, game 162. It's the only time in the history of baseball where a team never led the division and won the division. Think about that. If you haven't heard that, I'm sure a lot of you listening, you're hardcores, you already know this. But if you don't, the A's never led the division ever in 2012 because that final out of game 162, once that became final, now they had the lead, but the season was over. Once that last out was recorded, it was season over. Now they had the lead. So never during the regular season did they have the lead. Now you think about if you're the Rangers that year. They said they just had to win one more game, and they're never in that situation. One more game in April, one game in May, June. Well, how about if you had another season like that, and you look back and go, man, if our guy would have won home run derby that day, we'd never be in a one-game playoff. It puts pressure. Wouldn't it be great? I mean, just think about the star players going up against each other. 707 just weighed in on our text line of 510-897-1322. This is a whole different deal. I just wish games weren't blacked out if you're watching online or on MLB at bat. Yeah, here's what we want you to do. We want you to download our app, but we're not going to allow you to watch games in your own market. <laughs> well, because look what these uh, look what Comcast and look at what Fox Sports what they're paying and what they're paying the television rights. Yeah, because yeah, I, I I understand if you you live in the Bay Area and you're from you're you're from Milwaukee. And you're going to want to watch the Brewers. Yes. But for the majority of people, you want to watch the in-market games on your phone. Once again, the thing everybody is addicted to is the phone. And I'm trying to get baseball and the phone to go hand in hand. Coming up next, Dave Zimborski, senior writer for Fangraphs. We've been talking a lot of change We'll see how he feels about it right here on A's Cast Live. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. One miss, and Mike Fires has thrown his second no-hitter. And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back! Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From the opener to launch angles to clutch moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. All righty. Dan Zimborski from Fangraphs is going to join us. And one of the reasons why we're having him on as he's recently done on Fangraphs.com, he's done an article about Marcus Simeon. 
See, hardcore baseball people, they start to recognize great stories. And I don't know if there is a better story. There may be. But I don't know if there's really a better story than Marcus Simeon. Call me a homer, whatever. But I watched this guy play shortstop, and he was brutal. And I kept saying it. I know what a shortstop looks like. He's not a shortstop. And now he's turned himself into a gold glove caliber shortstop. And then you think of what Marcus has done with his bat. We always knew he had power. But guy went from leading the league in airs to being a gold glove candidate. Guy went from having a wrist problem to now having his power back and being a terrific leadoff hitter. And Dan... We appreciate you taking the time coming on A's Cast Live with Chris Townsend. I've always appreciate you coming on the different shows that I've had. And you know how much we love fan graphs. And the article you did on Marcus, you know, people are really starting to realize he has blossomed into a terrific player after the struggles he went through were just unbelievable. Absolutely. It's an unusual career he's had. Usually players, when they get to this age, they don't tend to take – big steps up fundamentally as players. But Simeon has, in fact, done that, and it's unusual in the way he's done that. Yeah, I mean, I was just telling everybody, you know, when we watched him lead the league in airs, I I watched him, I said, this guy is not a shortstop. Shortstops have beautiful footwork. They're almost like dancers. They're great athletes, and they just look the part. You, you, When you look at a natural shortstop, it's a wonderful thing. And you looked at him and went, this is not it. And the way that when they brought in Ron Washington and the way that they worked and the way that they did it publicly, Dan, they did it in front of us. I mean, he basically broke him down fundamentally and rebuilt him back up. A lot of people would do this back up in, a, in, in the cages. They did it in front of us in the field and the fact that Marcus was strong enough as a person to say hey listen I'm going to do this during the season I'm going to do this in front of all the writers and TV and radio guys that says so much about a guy's character oh absolutely and it also makes you wonder why the White Sox weren't as invested in Simeon's growth as the A's are because the A's have been all in yeah they they acquired another shortstop as a prospect to to possibly bring it in the future because they didn't know what was going to happen with Simeon long term if he'd be able to stick I'm personally surprised too I think errors tend to be overrated but you make a lot of errors on the level he did you have to start wondering maybe he should be a second base and maybe he should be a third base and maybe he should be in the center field but he's transformed himself into a legitimately significantly above average shortstop. And that kind of defensive performance, it, it, it doesn't happen that often. I can usually name with, with on one hand, I can't even think of anyone right now that has had the same mid-career improvement defensively. Wow, doesn't that say a lot? I might just be forgetting, too, but it is highly unusual. Uh, it's, I mean, it's a, it's a boon for the A's because now that left side of the infield is just where ground balls go to die now. You put Simeon next to Chapman. I mean, it's amazing anything ever gets through. Yeah, you think about the athletics, and a few years ago, they led the world in ERAs. It just wasn't Marcus. And you look at their turnaround, and I think a lot of people on the outside will look at numbers. They'll say, well, look at all the home runs they hit, and look how good the bullpen has been. Talk about just really when you think about the A's turnaround in recent years, it's been a lot because of their defense. 
Yeah, it's defense is big now, and the A's are very good at measuring it. Uh, and it does actually do remember another player, Marco Scatara, who also did that with the A's. Uh, when he came up with the Mets, he was not considered uh, a defensive prospect, but his defense, his defense improved tremendously uh, with Oakland. Yeah, and, and then uh, we're all going to remember what he did with the San Francisco Giants and what he did in that NLCS. And uh, Marco Scudero will always be a guy that will be loved ar around the green and gold. I mean, when you start looking around baseball right now, and if you're one of these GMs and you're saying to yourself, well, Zach Wheeler just went on the I.L., Cashner now has been traded. And of course, Bailey's been traded from Kansas City over to the Oakland Athletics. Who would you really be focusing on as a pitcher if you need to get a guy? Who would be the guy you'd really, really want? Because you got to get him before the 31st. Well, the guys I really, really want are probably unavailable simply because the Nationals have been winning the last six weeks. Uh, I think the, the two biggest targets left are still Madison Bumgarner, uh, and, and Marcus Stroman of the Blue Jays. Uh, baseball's in kind of a weird place when you talk about the trade deadline, simply because pretty much every NL team, except for the Marlins, is still at least theoretically into contention. So you don't have a lot of sellers there. And if you look at the AL, most of the teams that are terrible have been terrible for a while and have already sold off most of, of, their, of their talent. Like you look at a team like the Orioles, uh, if Kevin Gosman was still with the Orioles and still pitching well, you could see him being a trade target this year. But they already sent him to the Braves, and you can't trade players twice, even though I'm sure Jerry DePoto would love to do that. <laughs> That's a good, you know, and, and this is the thing, too, about a lot of these GMs. It's like, okay, yeah, your fan base is going to look at it, and they'll say, well, you're only four games back of the second wild card, or you're four and a half, five. But at some point as a GM, don't you have to be smart and say, you know what, this wild card thing might be a little bit of a pipe dream no matter what our fans feel? Absolutely. I mean, you look at the Giants right now. Uh, I think they're now four games back. I, I, I haven't looked at all the games so far to, to actually add that. But they're four games back, but they're four games back in essentially an 11-team wild card race. And it's hard when you have that many teams in front of you. If you're only four games behind one team, you have a pretty good shot. When you're four games behind nine teams and another two after you, that, that, that's a problem. And I think sometimes, especially because the wild card isn't as valuable as winning the division, I think in scenarios in which there's no chance at winning the division and your team is below 500, you do have to seriously become being sellers, even if the fans uh, are, are you're, you're going to lose some rope on that, essentially. I, I think the Giants are our team in that position. Yeah, and I think about Madison Bumgarner, and, and, you know, obviously out where we are, that's being brought up a lot about what does Farhan Zaidi do with him. And then there's also the question is, how much do you really want to pay for Madison Bumgarner at this point in his career? And, and especially when you're renting him in prospects and then – going into a uh, free agency. I mean, you don't want another, he, I'm sure he doesn't want another Dallas Keuchel situation where he ends up having to sign in June. Uh, I, I do think Jeff Samarja is, is likely to be traded. He's picked very well lately, uh, but Bumgarner is, is such a problem when you're trying to find new homes for him because when you're, when you're getting the fan base angry, you also have to kind of tell the fan base that Bumgarner isn't quite the picture that he used to be. And the haul and return from him is not going to be like what the, White Sox got for Chris Sale, or even what the Cubs got for Jose Quintana. They're not going to get a, a stable of top prospects who just magically, re, magically 
repair the farm system. Uh, so there's a, it's a real problem when you're trying to look to, to swap Bumgarner with someone else. You know, I, I really kind of laughed when they talked about uh, Justin Verlander after he did the article with ESPN and basically ripped Major League Baseball about the baseball and really went in depth about it. And then I suppose he got called into the principal's office and there was Joe Torrey and Jim Leland and telling him to quit it. You know, when a guy like Verlander comes out and talks about the baseball being a joke and talks about baseball being behind it, and you start looking at these record numbers of home runs, what are you guys at Fangraph saying about this? Oh, well, the, the ball has to be juiced at this point. Obviously, your next guest is going to talk about that more in depth because she's terrific. Uh, but you you look at the effect of uh, on baseball this year. The minor, the minor leagues, the AAA leagues, the International League, and the Pacific Coast League, they adopted the baseball that MLB uses this year. And they've already hit as many home runs in 2019, when we're in mid-July, as they did in the entire 2018 season. And the other minor leagues that didn't take MLB's baseball, there's no increase in offense there. So that's really, really hard to explain away with any kind of thing. Like, so the ball's the same, major league hitters are just being different types of players these days. And, yeah, that has an effect, but I don't think they, you'd have this explosion in numbers without the equipment being different. Yeah, Dr. Meredith Wills is going to be joining us coming up here at 630, and we'll talk more about the baseball. And she actually feels that the more Rob Manfred talks, the more he backs <laughs> himself into a corner. And at what point do you think baseball is going to have to say, yeah, we're going to have to dial this ball back. I think it's at the point where nobody's believing uh, what MLB says. Uh, it's a good thing I don't work for MLB because I posted a Baghdad Bob meme with Rob Manfred last week joking about, oh, there's, the balls are the same. Don't look. <laughs> uh, but I think, I mean, there, becomes a, there comes a point where there are too many home runs. I'm not uh, a, 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 a super old-school traditionalist that gets angry about home runs and wants to see lots of punts and everything. But there becomes a point where it's just too much. I like to have beer. I like to drink beer and eat tacos. But I can't do that three meals a day every day. I have to eat vegetables too. And you need to have some kind of more of a balanced approach here. Home runs are, are more special when there are fewer than them. When every team, when half the teams in the league are going to set their team record for home runs this season, it makes those home run records feel a lot less just interesting in a way. That's one of the great analogies I've ever heard in my career. I could eat tacos and drink beer every single day, too. But uh, we're not going to look pretty good after doing it every single day. <laughs> no, no, we, we, we probably shouldn't, as delicious as it is. <laughs> well, we've been, we, we called this show today the show of change. Because we've been talking about all the different things, about what do you do with extra innings. Sunday night baseball last night, the broadcast, they were all over it. These Some of these games are just going too long. we got the Atlantic League using the robo-umps. We've got the Atlantic League. You can steal first base. What is a change that you would like to see in Major League Baseball to improve the game? I, I am a big fan in, ro in robo-umps. Uh, I do think that on a fundamental level, you want to get that call right more than any human element. And there's still lots and lots of calls for the umpires to make. But I think it always looks terrible when, when you see, because the difference between a ball and a strike at any at bat is huge. If you look at a player's uh, uh, offensive numbers by count, just missing a count can be very, very game-changing. Uh, I'm not really a big 
on stealing first base. I'm, I'm sure like Billy Hamilton would like that because, but it also, you know, it destroys the old saying about you can't steal first base because then every time you say that, some smart ass is going to go, well, you can. <laughs> and the thing I, I thought about today, and I, it got me thinking watching Wimbledon yesterday and, and thinking about the article that they did about this robo-ump and, and, and using TrackMan, and I know Hawkeye's coming in, is why not build an app where every single fan in the ballpark can watch the balls and strikes on a TrackMan-like deal so where if you're down the left field line or right field line or, or high up behind home plate or, or out in the left center field or left field, you could watch this on your phone. I think millennials would love this type of deal. Yeah, I would too. It's a lot of fun. I'm, I'm of the frame of mind that more information tends to be better than less information. Uh, and I, I, I know some people say it takes apart uh, an element of the game, but I think that the calling of the game is, is kind of different than the playing of the game itself. Uh, I, I wouldn't want to replace with robot baseball players. Uh, I mean, that would be a little too video gamey for me. I know I've played games that you actually can play with robots, and it's not quite the same. But at, at some level, uh, it's a basic it's the spirit of competition. I mean, I love Tom Glavin, but he got so many calls on the outside as a pitcher, and I don't think that's good for the game. All right, let's end on this. You want to make a lot of money, so I want you to buy a stock in the American League and a stock in the National League. Who would you buy going forward? You mean on a, on a team basis? On a, on a, I want you to buy one team in the American League, who you want to make money on at the end of the year, and one team in the National League. Okay, in the National League, I, I still think the Cardinals have some unrealized value you you look at their team and they should be scoring a lot better than they have yeah the pitching staff's been a problem but they all started a situation where paul goldschmidt hasn't been that good and he's not that old at this point he's 31 he shouldn't be off the cliff so i'm going to say the cardinals i think that they have the most just untapped potential left of any of the teams in the nl uh in the al i am going to take oakland i do like what oakland's doing uh i'm not sold on homer bailey obviously but I think it's one of the best defenses in the league. And the thing about Oakland is you guys are always very creative about things. And I like creativity. I think that has a benefit. I, a lot of teams would not have trusted Brett Anderson in the rotation after his long injury history, but the A's did. And they're getting the benefit from that. Uh, so I always go with creativity, I think. You just made this fan base very, very happy. You know that, right? <laughs> uh, well, I have a let's just say with some fan bases, I have a kind of a, they have a mixed feelings about me. Like Padres fans wouldn't talk to me for years. <laughs> well, there's no reason to talk to them because their team is stunk. So <laughs> uh, Dan, thank you so much for the time. We appreciate it. We'll talk to you again soon. And uh, congratulations with all the success at Fangraphs. Thanks for having me on. It's always fun. Dan Zimborski from Fangraphs. couple things we got to get into from that interview. We'll do it next right here on A's Cast Live. Now back to A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. All right, there's something that you can help us with. We're looking to take this show on the road. Not only throughout the season, but in the offseason. And what better place to get together with your friends and family 
because I consider all of you friends and family, then get together at one of your favorite places. So I would like you to reach out to us at 510-897-1322. Don't call because we're not taking phone calls during this show yet. Our millennial technology has not allowed us to do that. Somehow, some way, we have to be able to figure it out. I had a meeting last week, marketing-wise, and that was one of the things I have for a 12-month goal is to get... 12 either, months? So either in a year, well, a year from now. So you to figure maybe nine months, 10 months. One of my goals was to have uh, the ability to take phone calls, a dedicated studio. 12 line. months? Well, you never know. Who knows? There are ways to do this, though. You can do different things. Yes, I know there's ways to do can, it. That's why I'm like 12 months. You can use Skype. Skype can use, a, you can have multiple calls on Skype. There's a lot of things we can look into. All right. Well, figure it out. So I want you to text me at 510-897-1322. Your favorite place, your favorite watering hole, where you think would be a great place for us to get together, do this show, and have drinks together and hang out and talk A's baseball and talk Major League Baseball. We could be coming to your watering hole. Your spot. Where do you like to hang? So text me at 510-897-1322. I can tell you how this rolls. There's going to be some of you that go, oh, this is my spot. I know the owner. I know the manager. Perfect. Those are perfect. That's what sports fans like to do. We like to go watch games. So I wouldn't mind coming to your hood. But you've got to tell me where your hood is and where what the place is. At 510-897-1322. Text me the location. And if you know the owner, you know the manager, you know this bartender, put their name in there too. Because we're looking to take this show on the road. We're taking the show on the road on Friday. Is that something we can mention of where we're going to be? Well, you're going on the road. I, I, Yes, we can mention it. We'll be live at the Athletic Club in Oakland on Friday from 1 to 4. See? We're taking the show on the road, and it's going to be fun. And think about doing this in the off season, having beers, talking wind, talking hot stove. We, we discussed where we really wanted to go in the off season, San Diego. We are going. Don't worry. I got that. MLB Network right behind there. When I'm going to make that up. When, when Rob Manford walks off their set, he'll sit down right with us. Oh, my God. You know what I forgot to talk about today? Why everybody should pitch like Liam Hendricks. God, I can't believe I forgot that. I'm looking at my notes. I was watching. So after I got done working yesterday, drive home, have dinner with the family. I then went and worked out. And I'm watching... Sunday Night Baseball. And what do I see? Well, I'll tell you what I see. Nibble, 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 nibble. And next thing you know, crack home run, crack home run. You see pitchers who are afraid to pitch in the strike zone. Everybody is afraid. And I don't blame them. And Justin Verlander talked about it at the All-Star game with Jeff Passan. 
he talked about how, you know, I mean, because he's given up more home runs than ever before. But he's talking about how, you know, you got guys that are not home run hitters who are hitting, hitting to the opposite field. Hitting home runs to the opposite field. You got guys that have no way should be hitting home runs are hitting home runs. Here's future Hall of Famer Verlander says, I hate the way I feel out there. No matter who's the batter, I feel like I'm constantly walking a tightrope because any batter can go opposite field. Any batter can leave with any pitch that's anywhere in the zone. You can't miss barrels anymore. You have to miss bats. Think about that. Pitching to contact. Remember hearing pitching to contact? Verlander saying, you can't do that anymore. You used to pitch to stay off the barrel. Now you, you have to completely miss the bat. He says, there's been multiple times this year where five years ago I'd probably just throw a fastball anyway. I can't do that because you're eight and nine hole hitter and you still can hit an opposite field homer. But see, I understand where he's going with that. But you need to watch how Liam Hendricks is, is he's basically out there saying, all right, I'm coming after you. And strike one is still the best pitch in baseball. Liam Hendricks is not getting down in the count. He is not nibbling. Now, starters are different than relievers, but still, Verlander's throwing as hard as, as Liam. He can get 96. Liam has actually started to get up there in 97. But look at Liam. Look at the difference in Liam than what you see with Trinan and Trevino. You constantly see Trinan and Trevino down in the count. 2-0, 3-1. Not Liam. Liam is up there saying, here it is. And instead of nibbling like Baez did last night for the Dodgers, and it comes back to bite him, a lot of hitters don't like to swing at the first pitch. They just don't. And a lot of hitters have been conditioned to not swing at the first pitch because all these front offices want rack up the pitch count, rack up the pitch count. That's what they want. They want you to take. So if it, if most guys, and you know, some guys will ambush it, and if they do, they do. I would pitch like Liam Hendricks. I would come right after you, right first pitch. I'm getting ahead 0-1, getting ahead 0-2, and then that's where Liam Hendricks, now his breaking ball becomes so effective. But when you're one of these pitchers that you're nibbling and you're not getting that strike and you're now in the hitter's count, you're getting killed. As Scott Emerson, the pitching coach for the A's, said, well, maybe the bats are kind of juiced. When I not, 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 now you know what it's like to pitch in college baseball back in the day where the bats were juiced and guys, you could jam guys and they still hit the ball way out of the ballpark. That they had to outlaw those bats that they used back in the day. They had to modify the bats because the bats were stupid. You could have a 35-inch bat that weighed 29 ounces. Are you kidding me? That's like a wiffle ball bat. Liam Hendricks isn't getting in trouble. Why? Because he's coming out and he's challenging you. And he's challenging you with good pitches. 
I'm not saying throw it down the middle, but I tell you what, strike one, and you know the thing about the uh, the thing about the Robo Ump and the Atlantic League, the Robo Ump calls high strikes. That's something that I wish they'd work on with modern day umpires. Is a true strike zone where you get not only the bottom of the strike zone. None of this. I'm a high ball ump or I'm a low ball ump. How about call a bigger strike zone? I'll never forget. What year, what year was Sandy Koufax against the Twins in the World Series? Was that 68? It's like 68. It's late 60s. It's Commander Cody is going after Google right now. It was late 60s. If you could ever go back and watch, go watch YouTube. What year was it? 1965. I wasn't that close. If you can go watch Sandy Koufax mow down, what game was it? Did it go seven? I can't remember. Was it game seven? Sandy Koufax came out and dominated. It was game seven. Dodgers win at Old Metropolitan Stadium in Bloomington, Minnesota. Outside, Jim Cott, he was a dandy in this game. That Sandy Koufax would outduel him 2 nothing. He'd shut out the Twins. Go look at that strike zone. Go look at the fast. I, I, I had it been on the ML, MLB Network, classic games. And I'm like, going, oh, my God. Here's Sandy pumping 97-98, letter high in getting the strikes, and then dropping a 12-6 curveball, which you never see from left-handers. But he's dropping a 12-6 curveball at the bottom of the strike zone. Even if you had a juiced ball, even if you had juiced, offense would be come down if you actually called the letter of the law of the strike zone. Coming up, Dex, we're going to talk to Meredith, Dr. Wills. Dr. Meredith, by the way, she doesn't want to be called Dr. Wills anymore. She just wants to be called Meredith. She's an astrophysicist. She's, she's basically putting Rob Manfred and baseball in a corner and everybody in the game is loving it. We'll talk to her next right here on A's Cast Live. Now back to A's Cast Live. Broadcasting from the town, here's Chris Townsend. Do we have the good doctor? We don't have Meredith yet. What a good show we've had today. The Hudman Rex Hudler talking about Homer Bailey. Brian Price, the former skipper of the Cincinnati Reds. Cal Bear, Bay Area guy, talking a little bit about Homer Bailey, too, as he was his pitching coach and his manager. Also talking about Bob Melvin. Sarah Langs, who is just brilliant, from MLB.com. Dan Zimborski from Fangraphs. And now an astrophysicist, Dr. Meredith Wills, will be joining us in seconds, and she is so burst on the scene that you know Major League Baseball is going, why is she doing this to us? But we're all loving it as she's helping put Rob Manfred, the commissioner of baseball, in a corner. Meredith, how are you? I, I'm good. I, I, I managed to just hear the why is she doing us to this. That's great. <laughs> Oh, can, can you imagine how, 
every, every single time you go on the radio or every single time you put something on the athletic, baseball has to be going, no, because uh, they're contradicting themselves and you're catching them in it. Well, lucky for me, I'm not the only one who's catching them. Uh, I think I just happened to to plant the right seed at the right time. And, you know, I'm good at picking stuff up, but there, you know, Rob Arthurs has some good stuff. Uh, there was an interesting article that uh, Jeff Weiser had out on Baseball Prospectus this morning. So, yeah, every – let's put it this way. Uh, I just sort of – how to put this, you know, this is the small pebbles that started the avalanche, and now I'm just along for the ride. And I wonder with your research and the different research from everybody else, you know, how far can baseball keep defending this when the research is just so obvious of what is going on? I will admit I'm not really sure why they aren't moving more quickly. There is work that is being done, I shouldn't say entirely independently, because he is working in conjunction with the Braves. But uh, Barton Smith, who I may have mentioned before, is uh, he's a professor at Utah State, and he's been doing some really interesting aerodynamic testing on the balls. Again, independently, he's gotten 2019 balls from the Braves. And what he's finding is, you know, certainly consistent with, uh, with my stuff. It's not all exactly the same, but it's also helping to further explain what parts of the ball are having what effect. What I find interesting is that Barton is, is doing this on his own, essentially, and yet for some reason, if MLB is doing it, they're not actually telling us what's going on they say they have their team of scientists but i don't know what their team of scientists is doing none of us do and you've talked about why let's go over this again why is the ball flying further than ever before well basically the ball is flying further because it has less drag on it it's the same type of thing that happened in 2017 and all less drag means is that the ball slows down less quickly. So the, it's going to continue to travel faster through the air, hence it travels farther because of that. Now, the reasons are a little different than 2017. In this case, it's that the seams are lower and also that the ball appears to be rounder. Those are kind of the two main ones. Uh, there's been other changes. We've seen that the laces are thinner, the leather is smoother, and that those, that's mostly important to saying that the ball is really, really different because all of those things are completely different than previous balls. But the first two are more what's contributing to why the ball is carrying the way that it is. And we're seeing some pitchers who rely on certain pitches that all of a sudden are having bad years. And the numbers are not the same. And earlier today with Sarah Langs, we were talking about the slider for Noah Syndergaard isn't the same. We've seen Trevino and Trinan with the A struggle with their stuff. Do you think the ball, as much as this is helping hitters, how do you think the ball is actually affecting pitchers and certain pitches that they throw? It's terrible, actually. I, I have to wonder... 
which pitchers, I guess to preface this, it's sort of an open secret at this point that a lot of pitchers are using things like rosin or bullfrog or whatever because the leather is so slick that it's very hard to grip the ball. Without that, I would be surprised if anybody's pitches are better. Maybe they're the same. But just because the seams aren't as high and because the leather is so slick, it's hard to grip the ball, it's hard to spin the ball, and then when you do actually throw it, that spin just isn't going to break as much. So depending on your grip, uh, you're going to have a lot of problems with different kinds of pitches. And, yeah, this is great for hitters, but this ball is terrible for pitchers. Is there any way, though, that the way the ball is more round, less drag, could it be helping, like, let's say, a straight four-seam fastball? The problem is that it only travels 60 feet, six inches. And that's not really enough distance for you to notice that the ball is not slowing down as quickly. It's really got to travel several hundred feet before you see that. And even then, if you think about it, that's like uh, what we were talking about the, the game yesterday with um, with Loriano's home run. What did it go, like 298 feet or something? <laughs> but that wasn't all in a straight line. It was a pop-up. So the actual distance is traveling is a lot farther as opposed to only 60 feet, six inches. So it, that's really what makes the difference. The home run is going to notice the, the better aerodynamics. A pitch, not so much. Certainly not enough to make up for the fact that the thing can't break. So I've never made a baseball before, so I don't know the answer to this. I know you have taken apart a lot of baseballs. So let's say they say, yes, there is a problem with the baseball. How do you make the baseball essentially less better than what you've made it now? (laughs) That's a great way to put it, less better. Um, Well, one thing that I think they could do without much trouble is it looks like that smoother leather isn't really helping the ball travel. You know, I think it's been a sort of a standard thing with Rawlings to always try to make the leather smoother. That's just kind of been one of their goals without necessarily thinking about what it means to make the leather smoother. What we have now is a ball that's incredibly smooth, but having smoother leather turns out doesn't actually help the ball much as far as hitting home runs. All it's really doing is making it harder for pitchers to grip the ball. So if they were to go back to the, you know, less refined way of smoothing leather or not smoothing it as the case may be, that would at least allow pitchers a little more grip and it probably wouldn't negatively affect home runs. So, you know, that's the start. Uh, The seam high thing, I really don't know how that's going to get fixed because it turns out that the roundness of the ball and the height of the seams, it looks like that's related to a single process. So I don't think you could have a ball this round with higher seams. You get them both together or neither. And I'm not really sure what Rawlings would choose to do under those circumstances. Now, we're getting different types of blisters now because before the thicker, higher seams were causing guys to get blisters. Now we're hearing guys are complaining about blisters with the smaller seams, but the blisters are actually coming up under their nails i mean i just what what is going on with all these blisters oh well 
John Lester had a great quote, I mean, a couple months ago at this point, uh, talking about how in order to grip the ball, and I don't know how much of this was the consistency of the leather itself and how much of it was just the way he was gripping it, but he actually talked about pulling up like a chunk of leather under his fingernail when he let go of the ball. And so what I think is going on is when guys are gripping the ball because they can't hold on to it, otherwise they're digging their fingernails in. Well, when you let that ball go, it's going to pull the fingernail away very slightly. Uh, I don't know if you've ever had something like that happen. Uh, Women out there, if you've grown your nails, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, (laughs) Guys, I'm not as sure. But so let's say you've had the, the tip of the fingernail torn away. For example, have you ever had that happen? No. Thank God. Okay. Must be, it must be a chick thing. But anyway, the most sensitive nerves in the body are under your fingernail. So it hurts. And it's not fun anyway. And the fact that guys are getting those fingernails pulled away a little bit every time is absolutely going to give them blisters and is absolutely going to result in problems. So. So if Rob Manfred said, you know what, Dr. Wills, I want to have a conversation with you. What should I do? What would you tell him to do? Talk to the players. Talk to Rawlings. Get everybody in the same room. Make sure everybody knows what's going on, including him. And from there, they can make decisions. Do you think there will be change after this season? I honestly have no idea. I I really don't. Um, I'd like to think, again, I'm not even sure how they would make the change other than kind of what I said. I feel like everybody needs to be in on it. You know, I mean, we've got the CBA coming up. This is clearly important for the game. Uh, I guess little thing from this morning uh, an article Buster only put out that teams are now actually starting to be negatively impacted in that the trade deadline is coming up and they can no longer evaluate players the same way for trade. So there's a lot of problems that are coming out of this that are unforeseen between things like that, netting being more necessary because the ball is inherently more dangerous. There's a lot of moving parts that I don't think were predicted and I don't think it's as simple as do we change the ball back or not. It's also, you know, have we just lost a year? Do we change everything going forward? Uh, There are questions. There are a lot of questions. And it's not something that you just kind of do a hot take on and say, yeah, we're going to change the ball back. Um, I'm not really sure that's the right answer either. Well, the good news is no matter what the ball, the A's, and you were out at the game yesterday, the A's are hot, and they're 12 games over 500 right now. Well, I'll just keep coming to the games. Maybe that's it. Anytime you want tickets, you know it's on me. Come, you, we, we love having you at the ballpark. Absolutely. I will work on being an A's good luck charm. How's that? And then soon we're going to have to get together and see how you take the balls apart and go through that whole process. Seriously? I'll, I, I do have a couple that still need to be taken apart. I am happy to do it. So, Meredith, we always appreciate the time, and we'll be in touch. All right. Thanks, Chris. This was great. Dr. Meredith Wills. We have had just some really smart people on the program today. I mean, 
Sarah Langs from the University of Chicago, Meredith Wills. She's an astrophysicist, and that's why I apologize, because after all that brilliance, now I have to dumb down the show with my producer, Commander Cody, and we have to get to buying or selling. It's time for buying or selling. Sell, sell. Right now with Chris Townsend on A's Cast Live. First of all, I'm not going to let you ridicule me like that and say that dumbing it down. As a proud graduate of the University of California, Pennsylvania, and a nominee of the 20 Under 40 Award at that prestigious college. Wait, wait, where? The I went to California University. How's there a California University in Pennsylvania? That already sounds like it's not a very good school. Well, it's a Division II school. Uh, we had about 10,000 undergrads when I was there. Class class 2012, shut it out. Uh, but like I said, though. I mean, I'm one of the finalists for the top 20 under 40 award at my, from my school. So anyone who graduated under the age of 40 is up for the award. And I'm one of the, well, if I'm a finalist, I would say there's probably well, 20 to 40 people that are finalists. So hopefully I find out, I think this week or next week, I'll find out if I win the award or not. So I'm looking forward to this. How desperate is that school if they're saying you're one of the top 40 under 40? Plus, I'm like one of the people from the school that I think moved out of Pennsylvania. So <laughs> that, that makes me better already. The great state of Pennsylvania. All right. Uh, what do you got? All right. So buying or selling. I was thinking about this earlier, and the Giants were playing a doubleheader today. And I don't like to lead off with the Giants. But, hey, they're four back in a wild card. And I see a lot of people on Twitter are very excited about oh, them God. making a run at the wild card. Make me want to throw up. Uh, they won the first game of their doubleheader, 19-2. to They're scoring a ton of runs, blah, blah, blah. And by the uh, way, they're in a rain delay right now, right? Yeah, oh, I think it's Oh, good. my God. Uh, so, rain delay and a doubleheader. So going into tonight, Shoot me. Uh, I, I I actually adjusted it. So the Giants won nine of their last 11 games while scoring. Uh, see, it's uh, 94 runs uh, and hitting, uh, I think, 23 home runs now during that span. Realistically, the Giants can hold on to Madison Bumgarner and offer him a qualifying offer in the offseason or just outright resign him. But the biggest question is, do the Giants want to go all in and try to make the playoffs one more time for Bruce Bochy, who's closing on on 2,000 career wins? Buying or selling, the Giants will hold on to Madison Bumgarner. Oh, I can can I can I be a, a a troll and a hater? Of course, we love trolls. Okay, I I'm buying. I want them to keep them. I want them to be all in and just continue to have nothing in their farm system. They've, their team is old. Their team is expensive. It's the worst thing you want to be. And if they hold on, hold on to Will Smith. Hold, hold on to every, Hold on to Dyson. Hold on to everybody. And make a run at it and watch you fail. And then here you go. You still got no young talent whatsoever coming through the farm system for 2020, 2021, 2022. Oh, please hold on to everybody and try and make a run at it. That would make me feel so good. Remember how uh, last year Derek Rodriguez was supposed to be the savior of their pitching? Oh, he was so good. Pudge's kid, he stinks. He's up and down all year, and he's pitching the second game of the doubleheader today, of course. All right, uh, I read this earlier, and uh, something I saw, and I want to get your thoughts on this. We've talked about this before, but I, it seems to get more, it getting, it seems to be getting more popular. In a piece by Paul Sullivan in the Chicago Tribune, Lucas Giolito uh, attributes his 2019 success to a neurofeedback program. He says, "I meditated on occasion, but for me, the biggest thing was neurofeedback in the offseason. It was a brain training program where they hook you up and read your brain waves and do focus exercises 
and guided visualization. Now, I'm a person who uses meditation every single day and I have for the last two years. It helped me through arguably some of the worst things in my life and it, it's, it's changed how I think going into every day with a performance mindset to get things done and, and not let things like technology or anything bother you. So buying or selling more players will start to credit meditation and neuroscience for their success. I am completely buying. And that is the, that's the next, the smart people tell me that's the next frontier because we've gone from Moneyball era where we're going to find hidden gems based on math equations, right? We're not going to use batting average and home runs and RBIs. We're going to use OPS and OPS plus, and here comes weighted runs created plus and XFIP and all that. That's math equations. Now, high-tech cameras, radar, we're making players better because of technology. Spin rates, spin frequencies, launch angles, all that kind of stuff. Okay, so then what's next? The human brain. How do you make players better mentally? How do you make them stronger mentally? How do you, you know, because baseball is a game where you have to make such quick decisions, right? They, they have proven... You know, think about Randy Johnson, 60 feet, 6 inches. He's throwing a baseball at you. But Randy Johnson, by the time he releases the baseball, that's like 50 feet or whatever it is. Yeah. And you're, you have milliseconds to decide what the pitch is, where the pitch is going to be, and should I swing at it? So how do, you, how, do you, how do you make decisions better? I think neuroscience, I'm buying is the next wave of how to make our game better. And I, I think the thing that people don't understand with, uh, for me, when I discovered a meditation, I use an app called Vision Pursue. It started with an article that Robert Mays and the Ringer wrote about how Kyle Shanahan was introducing that to the 49ers and teams like Steve well, Kerr. I had that work. Uh, well, yeah, Steve, with Steve Kerr's, a big, <laughs> Steve Kerr's a big fan of meditation and they've won a, I believe they won a title or two in the last couple of years. But there are a lot of like. I'm uh, not hating 49er fans. I know a lot of A's fans are 49er fans. I do not hate on the 49ers. Uh, he got that from Dan Quinn, though. Dan Quinn's a big advocate of, of uh, mindfulness and, and performance mindset. So I had that I, work in Atlanta. He went to that Super Bowl. and um, you, you still are not giving me a Super Bowl champion. I just gave you Steve Kerr. You, I want a Super Bowl. I want Bill Belichick. Nick Saban's a big fan of it. Uh, uh, he's pretty good. He's well, wanted, I think recruiting has really yeah. done well for Nick Saban. Uh, they've had a good. They've had a good uh, couple run, couple years I on there now. I think it's because a, of meditation. All right, I, next one. Uh, I don't know if you saw this the other day. Maybe I'm, should I start meditating every day? I can introduce you to it. It's great. It'll change your life. I mean, right now I got my new smoke. My new smoker was delivered. My new Traeger was delivered today. It's essentially the greatest day of my life. Well, we can zen you out, as they say, and put that uh, put those AirPods in and just listen away. You can do guided or unguided meditations. Either way, it's guided or unguided. Meaning, there's someone talking or this music, or you listen to this music. What do you do? I do both. I switch it up. Usually, there's ones I do where there's both, where there's someone telling you what to do, and then sometimes there's ones that are a little longer where it's just music and you kind of do it on your own. It's more, it's all about breathing, and essentially the ones I do. As I was riding uh, a bike around the beach during the All Star break. One of the things we got for the kids. We got bikes and paddle boards and everything. I saw yoga on the beach. Yo people doing yoga on the beach. I went, you know what? Yoga on the beach looked pretty cool. Yeah, I, I believe we're doing something uh, at the Coliseum with yoga coming up soon for us and employees. Employees? Uh, yeah, I saw the email about it. I, I, I should probably should have had the details. but well, it, you, know what's great? You, you know what's great? And I hope everybody with the A's are listening. 
as they have all these wonderful events. You know, hey, it's happy hour at the office. Hey, we're doing this. Hey, we're doing that. Guess what happens during all those times where everybody's bonding and having a good time? I'm working on the air. Don't say I, we. We. By the way, next Monday, we're having a softball game at the Coliseum, and I think we should do the show live there so we can play softball. We're doing a softball game at the Coliseum. Okay, this is going to be a great point. Softball game at the Coliseum. Next when? Next Monday. Next Monday. Huh. What time? Uh, I think it starts at 1. Great. We got the Astros at 5. See? It's unbelievable. All right. I don't know if you saw this over the weekend or not while you're in San Diego, but Fernando Tatis Jr. yesterday escaped an impossible situation in a rundown. It was one of the most incredible things I've ever seen. I'm going to make this really short. At the age of 20, Fernando Tatis Jr. is the most exciting player in baseball. What? Just from everything he's done. He scored. He's, how many Have times? you also seen some of the years he's made? How many times have you seen him score from third on a pop-up in the infield? He looked like he was going to blow out his knee on that play yesterday. Um... Is he the most? Ex- he's the most exciting twenty-year-old. I was, I was most exciting player right now. In to watch, baseball, the watch in baseball selling. I heard Tim Kirshen say that it's between him and Javi Baez, and made me think like, all right, let me see what Tony thinks. Have you heard of Cody Bellinger? Oh uh, yeah, he, he's that guy in uh, L.A. He's pretty good. <laughs> There's that Trout guy. He's also pretty good. <laughs> Mike Trout. Have you heard of these guys? There's a Chapman guy with the A's. He's hey, pretty good. There's the, there's this really tall guy named uh, Shohei Otani who's not only who, who could possibly pitch and hit in the All Star game next year. There's a guy. Think about that. There's, if that doesn't blow your mind, that's that'll be uh, maybe he'll do the home run derby too. Oh my God. Um, also, we saw a guy hit, take a bunt to the face and pitch the next, like two days later. Max Scherzer. I'd rather watch. I mean, nothing against Tatis Jr. He's going to be a terrific player. I Max Scherzer. Give me Max Scherzer. Give me Mad Max. All right. So this is the last one, and we just saw the news about Tyler Glass now come down, where he might be his season's in jeopardy because he's. Uh, going to be set down for a couple more weeks. But um, we saw how bad the Houston Astros rotation has been. They're using the opener tonight. Josh James was starting. Framber Valdez was coming in to pitch after him. Awful. Awful after the All-Star break last Thursday. Gave up five runs. He couldn't even get through the first inning. The Astros, besides Verlander, Cole, and I believe Wade Miley, their four and five have been awful. Buying or selling the idea that the Houston Astros will be the most aggressive team at the deadline. Ooh. Ooh. The most aggressive. Now you can look. They can look at Thor, Trevor Bauer, Madison Bumgarner. Maybe. Maybe imagine they got him and made him better. Can I just sell because I want the A's to do well in the second half and do not want them to see, like, if all of a sudden I wake up and Noah Syndergaard is traded to the Astros, I might cry. Because I mean, the A's right now are hot. A's. Hey, listen. A's are six back in the West. This division has not been won yet. Everybody wanted to crown the Astros at the start of the year, and there are a lot of games left with the Astros between the A's, and six games can be made up. So I'm gonna set. I'm gonna sell that, but I want. What am I doing? Crossing your fingers. I'm gonna sell that, but I'm crossing my fingers. They went out and got Verlander. They went out and got Cole. Um, wow, if they went out and got another. Stud pitcher. They, oh, they don't need God. the offense. They need the pitching. And I think uh, now that Zach Wheeler went down, I thought he'd be a great option for them. But I also think he'd be, he would have been a good but, option but, for the but, A's. Think about this, though. The Dodgers have to do something with the bullpen. Oh, well, they're linked to um, the nightmare in Pittsburgh, Felipe Vasquez. So 
get one of those get, get one of those catchers back, Neil Huntington, and I think we'll be okay. I mean, I, I just the Dodgers. If you want to win the World Series, you have to be scared as hell about the back of your bullpen. Do you use him or do you use him or Kenley Jansen? And say you get Felipe Vasquez, are you using him or Jansen? Who's throwing the best at the end of the year? I think so. I mean, Vasquez has been. But then again, once you get to the playoffs, you could have your best guy coming in in the sixth or seventh, seventh or eighth. You know, whatever the major high leverage situation is. So, is that it? Yeah, that's it. Wow, what a show today. You did a very good job, Commander Cody. Thank you. It's the first day back. We're reunited after a week off. Rex Hudler, Brian Price, Sarah Langs, Dan Zimborski, Dr. Meredith Wills. We will be back tomorrow. What time? I'll be back at 4. Coco Chris will be joining us at 4 o'clock on the field with you. Oh, we're on the field. It's a home game. That's right. Mariners tomorrow. Got to beat the Mariners. Got to smoke the Mariners for two days. All right, we'll see you all tomorrow, 4 o'clock right here on A's Cast Live. Have a great night, everybody, and don't go anywhere because we got A's Cast running 24-7. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.